Good evening, welcome to Ornatan. We are 72 hours before Yom Kippur, the most important day of the year. In the last generation, not that many generations ago, the last one, before we even get to Yom Kippur, when the Gabai in the shul used to announce Elul started, there were people falling on the floor and fainting. Beginning of Rosh Chodesh Elul, which is 30, 37 days ago. That's when the Ashkenazim start to blow the shofar after the tefillah. They hit the table in the shul and they say, ladies and gentlemen, Elul started. You would see one fell here, one fell there. People are falling. Today, nobody fails yet this, this, this year when they announce Elul. Not only that, nobody fails when they announce Rosh Hashanah. And it's even worse. Nobody here fainted when I say we are three days before Yom Kippur. I see some people smiling here. And this is basically explain how deep we're thinking without realizing. Like I once said, there are two people that live in a darkness. One recognizes darkness and one didn't. Who's worse? The one who didn't recognize that he's in a darkness is worse, even though he's happier now. Because he has no chance to correct. So unfortunately, we are in this situation, or maybe half and half. Maybe we are aware of our situation and we're just lazy. Or maybe we're just not aware of our situation. And for those who already know me, I'm around for many years here, you know. You know that uh, sometimes people say, you know, I'm scary, the lecture is too tight, they get nervous for a while after that. But one thing I can say for my protection, that there's not one thing I say so far that I made it up. Everything I say is the truth of Hashem. And now a person that is clever has to think, what do I want to hear? The truth or what I feel comfortable with? That's the question we have to ask. Where do I want to go? To beautiful lectures? To beautiful stories? Or people that will make me wake up and even change 5% of my way? 10%, 20%, better than nothing. Or, I, wa I, want, I want you to know, I know people that go 20 years for the lecture, 20 years. You check them today, compare them to 20 years ago, they are the same, exactly. And sometimes even worse. So the question will be, what's better? To be disappointed after the lecture, but to change? Or to be happy and to stay the same wicked person? That's the question. We are three days before the final judgment. We have ten days now for those who are 50-50. The Gemara says that one of the Amoraim said to his friend, Who is Benoni? Who is the mediocre Jew? He told him, somebody like me. So he said, if you 
nobody can survive. If you 50-50, then everyone else is not even zero. It's minus, negative. That was 1600 years ago. 1600 years ago. The Gemara says, give me an example of what Chilul Hashem is. What Chilul Hashem? One of the Amoraim says, somebody like me makes Chilul Hashem every day. They ask him, what do you do? He says, I walk four steps without feeling on my head. Sometimes it happens to me. What can I do? What? Not I murder, I steal, I curse, I drive on Shabbat. I scream in the street, I drive with my convertible with full volume music all over like a cushy. <laughs> I spend $1,200 on the tires, what color they're gonna be every week. He didn't say that's Chilul Hashem. That's needless to say, Bechlad. To become like a cushy or any goy. When people say in the morning, Baruch Atah Hashem Shelo Asani Goy, they taking that goal on the street in the winter. Knock on your window. Help me. Can you spare some change? Give me. A, I need a cup of coffee. Or those who make fire in a in a garbage to warm up. That's logical in a human's logic. Baruch Hashem that didn't make me a goy. Goy like this one on the street. Anybody think? Bless you, God, that didn't make me Bill Gates. Thank you for not making me George Bush. People don't think that way. You know why? Because they don't really think the truth of these people is that they don't really convince, they are not convinced that there's a difference between a Jew to a Goy. That's why when they think, bless you God, I didn't make me a Goy, they think about a miserable Goy. Someone who knows the difference between a Jew and any guy in the world, he has in mind, yeah, thank you for not making me that president and this billionaire or whatever, or this famous guy. Three days before Yom Kippur, the, the Gemara gave ten days, ten days to try to appeal. The judgment was made already. You have to understand, we are now a week after the judgment was made for all of us already. Right now we are sitting here, each one of us has in his file everything what's going to happen within this year. Get married or not, get cancer or not, lose all his money or not, collapse, have healthy life, have children, not have children, how many visits is going to go to the doctors, how much money people will take away from him, win the lottery, the neighbors will bang on his head all year round. All these things, from the smallest to the largest, it's already written. Now, God gave us one last opportunity, another week. Rosh Hashanah is two days. Yom Kippur itself is one day, so it's a week between. One week, one week. Each day of this week correct the day of all year. If it's Sunday, it's correct all the Sundays. If it's Monday, it can correct all the Mondays. You miss it, that's it. The Sundays are over. You miss Monday, Mondays are over. Tuesday, you get to Yom Kippur, it's over. What you can do between now and Yom Kippur, 72 hours, it will take you 72,000 years to do after Yom Kippur. 
and I'm not exaggerating. This week that God gave, it's such an opportunity. It's like bringing you into a treasury room full of diamonds. Until now, if you wanted to find one diamond in the mines in Africa, did you ever see how they have mines of diamonds? You're not going to believe. Imagine a, a hole in the ground, like maybe like a building that is 20, 30 floors. Like those huge buildings in Manhattan. That's how deep it's in the ground. I have a picture here, if you want, you can see after the lecture. They have a picture on a mine where they look for diamonds. And they show a truck that is on the way down in the mines. You know, it's like spirals. They go down, down, down. The, the truck looks like a dust compared to the hole, the mine. How much sand, how much rocks they break and they move around until they find one little diamond. And everyone still going and searching and walking and they finally find one. And now imagine if somebody will tell this person, what are you wasting time? Come, I, share, I take you to a room full of diamonds. That's the comparison between Aseret Yemet Shuvah to the rest of the year. And yet sometimes you find people, they, have, they put all their efforts in one day a year. Not Aseret Yemet Shuvah, another day there, another day there, here and there. Beautiful. The more, the better, the more, the better. But people sometimes happen to forget that Aseret Yemet Shuvah is really something special. There are many, many stories about the great Sadiqim, how they behave in Aseret Yemet Shuvah. We see, by, by the way the people behave in Aseret Yemet Shuvah in the ten days of repentance, you see how much irat shamayim they have, how much fear and respect they have to Hashem. If people behave business as usual, that shows they have no irat shamayim whatsoever. Why? Because there's a sentence in the Torah, search for God when He is close to you. You can reach him with a hand. That's how close he is. Right there. The Shekhinah is everywhere around every Jew in the world. Ten days. Nobody in, nobody in the world got that opportunity. Only the family of Yaakov Avinu, which we happen to be his children. And in these ten days, a lot of things can be corrected. And even now, when the judgment was made, and God already rose, in our file, how much money we're going to make, how much money we're going to lose, how much pain and agony and tears we're going to have this year. It's not over yet. We have now the time to appeal it until Yom Kippur. It's true that even when it was signed and finalized on Yom Kippur, there is still a little chance to correct until Oshana Rabbah. But who wants to wait for the last of the last of the last opportunity? By then the chances are much, much lower. That's it. Those who came here are lucky. At least maybe you wake up. Maybe the, the last three days of the year, which is in a way now, maybe you do things better. And maybe some of the problems that are supposed to come, Chaz Shalom, will pass away to the area of Gaza Strip in those areas. You know, to, to, to our brothers, uncles, cousins, cousins. Yom Kippur. The Rambam brings a whole chapter in his book, Ilchot Tshuva. How a Jew has to make Tshuva, repentance. One of the serious problems that we have right now is that a lot of people make Tshuva between them and God, but they forget almost completely to make Tshuva between them and their friends. 
other Jews, landlord tenants, brothers and sisters, partners in a business, husbands and wives, father and children, they neglect. Ah, we are bodies. We don't need to ask for mechila. Come on. I'm sure he's going to forget. If I give him a call, you see, it's not even an issue. Maybe in your mind. You have no idea sometimes how, how sensitive people can be. Even a friend of yours, 20 years is your friend. You call him a nickname, which is not exactly praising him. But you're used to it already. He never show you a sign that he get offended. But if you one time ask him, somebody else will ask him. You don't mind me call you that name? It's a sure I mind. What can I do? It bothers me a lot. Every time you call him, it's a sin. Even little things like this. You go to a supermarket. You use the card. You take it out of the out of the supermarket. You go all the way to your car across the street. You leave it there. You're lazy. You're not bringing, but you're a thief. This year will not be smooth for you. That's it. You're gonna have. Why? You took someone's property, something, someone's belonging out of his territory and put it somewhere else in Rishut Arabim. The next thing, what's gonna happen? A damage will happen to it. Someone will hit it, someone will steal it, and maybe they'll find it. They'll find it, you get lucky that at least the damage you made didn't go further. But if you're not so lucky, somebody else will damage it, it's your responsibility and you're not even aware of it. How are you going to ask forgiveness? How are you going to know to pay back? Rav Zilber Shen bringing his book. People who does little things like this, they shouldn't be surprised that 20 years later their children will rob banks. So measure for measure. Stealing is stealing regardless of the amount. It's the actual act that you are able to take something that belongs to another person, even a goy. And that's a very serious problem. People who have something that they stole from another person, no matter how many prayers they're going to have, and if they fast all year round for 70 years, they cannot erase the sin of owing a person a quarter. If you owe a friend a quarter, and he cares for the quarter, and I had a case with a guy for twenty dollars that I don't really even owe him. Believe me, I'm not. I don't owe him the case. There was a misunderstanding on his behalf. Somebody else owed him the money, but just because of the doubt, I made sure to find him hours before Rosh Hashanah to give him the twenty dollars back, just in case he has maybe something that is right. Maybe, maybe the chance is close to zero. Why? You enter the judgment owing somebody, even napkins you took from the pizza store. You enter in, you took a bunch of napkins. So how much is that? Ten cents. If every person will do what you just did, he will be bankrupt in two weeks. Right? You use someone's bathroom. You use papers over there. You do all kinds of things, you take it for granted. Wow, what does he care? What did I do? I only use papers. You work for your boss, you use a stamp once a month for your own letters. You talk in the middle of the business with your friends, with your fiance, with your mother. How long? One minute a day, Rabbi. I work ten hours like crazy. What, I don't deserve to speak to my fiance to ask what, kind, what color the flowers in the wedding gonna be? When? In the middle of business. It's one minute, if we pay you $10 an hour, 
take six, ten dollars divided by sixty, whatever it comes, that's what you stole from your boss. And it adds up. But it doesn't really matter, because remember, it's the act, whether it's a dollar, whether it's sixty dollars. Food you take home, you work in a restaurant. Sometimes the boss doesn't mind. Sometimes he eats his heart, because you take things that he can sell tomorrow. For instance, you work in a bagel store. They have leftover. If you don't take it in the end of the day, he's going to throw it out. That's no stealing, no problem. Because anyway, he throw it to the garbage. But in between, the Yetzirah is a genius. He starts with giving you advice to take the leftover bagels. Then, you take a seltzer, a little bottle. What is it? It cost him 50 cents. The next thing, you take muffins. The next thing, you take chalas, corazon, this, that. All of a sudden, your bag is $100 a day. And I know a friend of mine that because of his sister, he went out of business. It started with the little things, and then she was taking and taking and taking. Half of the store she was taking. And you know what? He went out of business. And what happened to her? One day I get out of the house. In the front of my house, her and her husband got into a huge accident. Their car flipped around 360 degrees a few times. I opened my eyes. Who do I see? Her. Which for years I was thinking to myself, look at this woman, religious woman. She steals from her brother, put him out of business. And what's the problem with him? He was embarrassed to tell her anything because then the mother gets involved. All kinds of weird things. Someone who steals money from his friend is a murderer. Where does it say it in the Torah? I know what you think. Oh, this guy is too tough. He's making up a new Torah. What can I do? Maybe I know a little bit better than you Hebrew. And the word money in Hebrew is blood. Damim. How do you say it's Hanukkah? Mei Hanukkah is the blood of Hanukkah. What is it? Blood of Hanukkah. We don't give blood to one another. We give our children blood. We don't, we don't eat blood, no. Someone who takes his friend's money without permission, it counts in Shamayim that he took his life or a part of his life. Even an hour worth, worth of money that you took from your friend or neighbor or anybody, that's an hour of his life. You work for it. Come on, it's only ten dollars. He has millions. Doesn't matter. This ten dollars, maybe now he makes it in a second. But when he was twenty years old, it took him two hours to make it. How do you know which parts of your life he stole? Doesn't go by now. Maybe he made his money ten years ago. Maybe he took two hours away from his life. Right now it's a second. He makes it in a second. Fine, he's a wealthy guy. But maybe when he was 20 years old, he was walking in a store, running cra- like crazy, carrying all kinds of things, working in moving company, and that $10 he made it then, and now you stole it. And if you stole a thousand, it could be a month of life. You took away someone's life. You owe money to people, you enter Yom Kippur and cry and make a beautiful show in shul. It's a problem. It's a problem. That's why the Rambam writes black on white. You do all the repentance in the world. If you owe money to people, you cannot be clean. And if you die, you have to come back to another kind of life to pay it back. This time you'll be forced to pay it back. Yes. Louder. Baro, it's not a stealing. He agreed to give it to you with X amount of time to pay it back. 
The problem today is that people that borrow money don't give out money back. Go, don't give the money back. I tell you something. The Torah says that every time a Jew comes to you and open up his hand and ask you for a, for a loan, if you have the money, you must give him. It's a big mitzvah to give a loan to another Jew. Sometimes it counts even better than charity. There are levels. If a Jew comes to you and say, I need charity from you, $20,000, and that's all I need to open up a business, and, and, and finally, I'm going to be able to support my family because I'm going to have a business. Or a person comes to you just like that without a business and asks you to give him money every week, 500, 200, whatever it is. If you put a person into business, put him into business, it's better than giving him charity. Why? Because he's not as embarrassed as before. So in a time of the Torah, when people took loan, they remember to give it back. Today, unfortunately, almost nobody gives it back today. I'm not talking when you put a lien on your house, because then you have to give it. If not, you lose your house or your car. You have to understand, today it's chazaka almost, that the person will not give it back. We have to check clearly if today what the Torah says applies to today's generation. Because for sure God didn't want you to give money to people knowing the chance that they won't give it back is more than 50%. Now we have to review the shela, the halacha, it's a question, if it's even better to do. And believe me, I asked a big rabbi in Jerusalem that question, and he looked at me like, Unfortunately, you're right. You know why? Because if you know that ten Jews will come and ask you for a loan, and eight or seven will not pay it back, is a mitzvah to give them the money? You're hurting them. You wouldn't agree. It would be stuck now, and at least it wouldn't be a thief. It would be poor. If they're not shomer shabbos, they're they're like goyim. We spoke about this. Yes. What do you call an opportunity? What, he's in Florida? And you didn't want to spend $10 on FedEx? What do you mean opportunity? You don't have the money. Oh, now you're getting into a sensitive issue. You took a loan, hoping to pay it in 10 months. Everything, if everything will work according to your plan, you would have the money. Right? Let's say you do your, your pension coming from your work and that date, and you know you have X amount of money in savings, and you pay it back. And too bad, a week before they went bankrupt. And when companies go bankrupt, sometimes they steal the pension of the workers. It's very common in some places. And something, it's called honest. You were forced to lose the money, and you don't have to pay it back. Then it's not a thief. But if you have any belongings, you must sell them and pay it back. That's where the problem begins. People that thought they have extra money, they were planning to pay it back. But something went wrong, they didn't get the extra money. They drive a Mercedes, but they don't have cash. And they're not really lying when they call the guy in Erev Yom Kippur and say, Brother, please, I don't know how to say it to you, I'm so embarrassed. Please forgive me, I'm anus, I'm false, I don't have the money to pay. That's not an excuse. He has to sell his car and pay the money back sell to sell his house and pay the money back. He has to sell his shoes even, everything. He has to pay back the money you owe people. If not, you return as a slave. 
Slave, not necessarily that he beats you up with a, with a whip. Slave means, you know, you work for him, and he makes you run here, makes you run there for a few dollars an hour. This is how the world is turning around. Sometimes the rich become the delivery guys, and the next life they'll own the supermarket, and then there'll be delivery and supermarket, and you know, this is how it works. Yes. What happens if you know if you both steal from you? For sure, you know that it's still from you. Money. Most of the time people that know for sure that they both steal from them, they don't know. They assume the Satan tells them, come on, you can take it. He steals from your commission. Okay, I steal from you. That's it. I don't want to pay that. He doesn't want. No. You're allowed to take uh, something from his uh, place or spend yes, time. Something that comes to your hand, knowing for sure you owe you a hundred dollars, you can take. But make sure it doesn't worth a hundred and one. Yeah. Right. So then he went to the Dayan and the Dayan told him, uh, why did you do that? And this and the Gemara asked, is what is this was the Alakha? And the answer was no. It's called Lifni Mishurat Adin. You know what? Lifni Mishurat Adin. Someone that is a kosher, holy Jew has a different standard than an average Jew. You understand? Someone that is a real rabbi, that is teaching Torah, and people expect him to be close to perfect, there are certain things he cannot do. You understand? The rabbis cannot go with shorts on the street after basketball games. There's nowhere in the Torah it says you're not allowed to wear shorts all the way down to your knee. So people feel a little bit a part of your leg. Believe me, we make million things a minute more than that. But you never see a real rabbi walk with shorts on the street after a basketball game. He's going to get dressed even though it's not convenient for him because he knows it's not their heritage that people will see me walking like this on the street or with, with sleeveless shirt. You understand? For any man that's supposed to be a Ben Torah. You know what Ben Torah means? Someone who seeks and learns Torah has different high standards than the average people. You understand? It goes so high that really, really, is not even supposed to sit with ignorance and eat together at the same table. You understand? He has to make excuses to stay away from that. And not to eat in front of people. And the way he talks has to be always different than the people. He can never be angry in public. He can never raise his voice like a fool on the street. He can never eat falafel on the street. <coughs> what does it mean? He's hungry. And he found a boot that sells glad kosher. Kosher. See, I'm not before the falafel already, so. <laughs> Just sell falafel. <laughs> so anyway, so <laughs> don't worry, they change the oil sometimes. Once in a blue moon. <laughs> so wait, so the point, he want, he's hungry. There's no other store. And there's no place to sit. You have to stand now in the street and eat. You're not allowed. Where does it say it in Shulchan Aruch? It doesn't say. Derecheret, in Sifrei Musar. Something that an average person can do, certain people cannot do. That's called Ifni Mishurat Adin. So what you ask, I give you another example. The Gemara, in Masechet Vava Batra, page A, Amud A, it speaks about Ravina, 
רבינה אין רבשי דואז לתעודת רוד לתלמוד בבלי, the Babylonian Talmud. We are talking about two people that are million levels above angels. You have to understand who we are talking about. Thousands of pages which people today, the most genius people in the world, sit from morning to night to understand three, four rows of what they wrote. That's how deep it is. Multiply by thousands of pages, showing control, full control knowledge in every part of the Torah from A to Z. From the smallest part to the largest, highest Kabbalah stuff that you can think of. Without contradictions. With unbelievable memory, even with computers you can reach this kind of result. Ravina brings in a Talmud, story that apparently happened with him. He had a neighbor, his name was Ronia. That was his name. And his neighbor was a poor person, very poor person. And he had a little field. And Ravina had fields around him. What was the field? I'll, give you, I'll show you. If this is the field of of uh, the poor person, little field, Runia. He has a little yard. He grows tomatoes, whatever he grows over there. And Rava had four, three, three fields around him. One, two, three. All around him. And he made a fence. He made a fence around his field. And the fence, he made a fancy, fancy fence, you know, like with bricks. Expensive fence. And he comes to him and says, you know, you have to pay me. You have to pay me, you have to pay me 50% of the fence, because it's a mutual border. And it's an area where the law of the town, in that time, it goes by the areas where the people are used to do fence or not used to do fence. There was an area that people make fences. I made the fence, you have to pay me half. The fact that you saw me building a fence and you didn't try to stop me until I finished the work, obligates you to pay me 50% of the fence. Is he right or wrong? He's right. Then, then he told him, no, I, don't, I can't pay you, I don't pay you. Then he told me, okay, don't pay me, don't pay me for bricks, pay me like I put wood, wood chips, you know, like those two by four that you buy, it's much, much cheaper, pay me half of this. No, pay me only one wall, no, everything he was talking to him, he refused. He took him to Beijing, to court. And the judge was Rava. Rava, Abaye and Rava, you know, another couple that you read in a Gemara in every page. And he told that poor person, he gave you three offers, high, a mediocre, and a low offer. Grab the low offer before we start the judgment. What do you mean? I'm going to kill you here, because <laughs> you really owe him, let's say a fence costs $20,000 with bricks, it costs 1000 with wood. Give him a few hundred dollars and finish. And from here the Gemara learns that this is the Alakha and whatever. But the story was in the end that one day, I don't know how, I mean, because after all he was poor, he bought fence around, he bought a field around Rava. You understand? And then there was an argument between them, bottom line, they went to court and the judge told him to Ravina, how do you not have mercy on this person? Do what he wants and leave him alone. Not because there was the law. The law was that he was right. But when you deal with poor people, it's called Lifni Mishurat Adin. Especially when you Ravina, somebody so famous that wrote the shots. How many people can write the shots in a history? So, bottom line, you learn from that. It's called Lifni Mishurat Adin. You find a... Uh, 
a lost subject and it belongs to a Goy technically you're not obligated to return it to him but just think about the Kiddush Hashem that can come out of it you go, you give it to him and then maybe one day this Goy will decide to do something good for the Jews because he remembers somebody with a yamaka brought it back to him you know the story, I don't know if I ever told it here one person in Europe, hundreds of years ago he went into a shul and he looks at the parochet and he sees on the parochet it says the Ilui Nishmat to the memory of Rav Shmuel Satan Rav Shmuel the Satan he comes to the Gabai he says, what's going on here? there was a Jew that his name was Satan <laughs> so then, you don't know the story? I make it quick he says, no, he says, I'll tell you the story his name was Rav Shmuel Alevi one day he went on the street, he found a wallet and they, 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 Gabriel, you have a special seat here VIP seat Oh, now you can't run away anymore <laughs> anyway so now he found the wallet it happens that it belongs to the prince he went to the palace he wanted to give it back to the king they didn't accept people so he told the guard no I can only give it to the prince they allow him in he went in he gave him the wallet the king told him check if there's money missing they checked the wallet, everything was there he told him you, you brought everything back, very nice of you what, do we, what can we do for you? Mr. Jew so he said nothing I only did a mitzvah I don't want anything in return the Torah says that when you find it, you have to return it even though it only applies to Jews but he wanted, once he saw it belongs to the prince, he knew that he can only help the Jewish nation he cannot, nothing can go wrong Kiddush Hashem he decided for a few hundred dollars that was there he'll give it back so he went there and he didn't want to take anything in return and the king said no no it's not, re- it's not respect for us that people will hear that you did it and we gave you nothing I must give you something we have to write your name and we know we gave you something so I, I, please I don't want God will pay my reward so the king said okay I feel stubborn I'm going to write a note and I stamp it with my stamp and if ever you need a favor you come to me and I'll do whatever you want he said fine, he gave him a stamp you know, a stamp letter and he went okay two years later that king went into a war and his money is running out just when the money is about to run out he calls his advisors, what can we do? he said the Jews has a lot of money sounds familiar, no? So let's make taxes. So now instead of 50% in New York, not in Florida. So 50%, now you have to pay 80%. People don't want to open their business. Well, we're going to work for him. So the Jews are crying. What are we going to do? We don't even have money to buy lulav. This year there's no lulav. The Egyptians don't want to sell. They want hundreds of dollars for our batch everything becomes tougher so he says okay let's take the money from the Jews he made that new law the Jews are crying, no problem then one of them remembered that Rav Shmuel Alevi has a note from the king he told the rabbi the rabbi forced him to go and ask for reward he didn't want but there's no choice now he went to the king 
And just as he arrived to the palace, the king was on the way out. And he, on the way he told him, hey, your honor, you know, I mean, I have this note from you, you promised me, remember me, I'm with the wallet. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, how can I forget you? But you cannot, I cannot help you now, come Monday, between this time and that time. That's when we accept the audience, the people, the crowd, the people. And he said, no, no, it's urgent, I cannot come next week, please. It's, he thought he's going to go back to them and wait another week, they get nervous. So please, just, it's going to take only a minute. He said, no, no, I'm on the way out, I'm sorry, please, you have to come back. You're not exception to anyone, everyone comes here, I have to serve them. So he said, but please, he said, okay, I give you four words to tell me your problem. Can you do it in four words? He wanted to get rid of him. So the Jew say, Rav Shmuel say yes. He says, okay, go ahead, on the way, out. He says, Vayomer Hashem el Satan. And Hashem told the Satan. He said, what? The king said, what did he say? He said, mm-hmm. <laughs> Four words. He <laughs> said, go ahead, come on. He got him curious now. He said, Hashem was angry at Satan, why you did this, garbo, this. He started to tell him a story, and throughout the story, he got to the problem of the Jews. Remember, I did that favor to you, you promised me here, it's your letter here. He looks at the letter, he said, okay, a deal is a deal. I'm the king. So he said, I'm going to cancel the tax, but since you fooled me with this Satan, I'm making a new law here, that your name from now on will be Satan. If I hear one Jew call you Halevi, I put the tax right back and I owe you nothing. He was sure that in a day or two, everything will be, ah, who can call him Satan? It was clever, that king. But he didn't know when it comes to money, <laughs> the Jews thinking twice. <laughs> so he said, listen, I'm going to put detectives on you. If one person will call you, Levy, right that moment, the detective will come out and say, we caught you, and that's it. Say, so deal is a deal. He went to shul, he announced, nobody can call me Shmuel Levy anymore. My name is Shmuel Satan. <laughs> And they put signs and notes. It's a true story. It's not just a story. It really happened. They put notes and signs all over. And everyone started to get to, to teach their children. That's it. You cannot mention the word Levi. And then after a few years, he passed away. Nobody even remembered that his name was Shmuel Levi. Everyone called him Shmuel Satan. And when he died, they wrote in a parochet, Leilu Nishmad Shmuel Satan. He was willing to suffer all his life with such a name to help the community. Yeah, mitzvah, but still, it's not easy. We are now Rosh Hashanah, a week after Rosh Hashanah, and we see that this year is going to be not an easy one. But 40-50,000 Pakistanians, Pakistanis, are buried under the ground. Nobody should be happy, even though a lot of them are Jew haters. A lot of them hate Israel. A lot of them would hope to see us buried under the ground. That's true, we know it. It's not no secret. We still cannot be happy when we see that happen to them. For two reasons. One, Hashem says in the Torah when the Egyptians were drowning and nobody helped us like the Egyptians. Remember, after 210 years we were in Egypt. Suffering from them, hell. God says, my creation is drowning and you're singing? 
So we saw that God cared even for these filthy enemies of Israel. As much as God loved Israel, as much as it says in the Torah clearly that I love Israel and I hate Esau and his descendants, still, when your enemies are drowning, do not make a party. That's rule number one. Rule number two is, everything bad happened to the Goim happened because of Israel. The Gemara says, when you see that Hashem strike the Gentiles with all kinds of natural tragedies, it's not only because of them, it's mainly because of the Jews in the world. Because the whole world was made for the Jews. And all these going survive and live and able to walk and talk and to do all what they do only for us. Without us, they wouldn't be in a plan of the existence. God doesn't need them here. The only purpose He made them is to serve the Jews. That's why you have Chinese to plant rice in China and the Japanese to make le- new Lexus every two weeks <laughs> and, and, and the, the refrigerators and all this and it's not a joke. And not only Goim, only also the animals were made for Israel. The cow to eat, to make Sefer Torah from the skin of the cow and one animal depends on the other, even the fish. You go in Israel, Israel has one source of water to drink. The Kinneret in Tiberia, it's a lake. In America, you have lakes like this every 20, 30 miles in, in some places. But Israel doesn't have that much water. They have the Dead Sea, which the water are very sweet over there. <laughs> you drink it, you don't need to talk anymore. It's the lowest place in the world. And we have the Kinneret. That's it. And the water comes from the Kinneret. And every two, three years, you hear in the news, the Kinneret is disappearing. What's going to be? We have to import water from Turkey, as we say in Kriyat Shema. What does it say? V'atzaret ha-shamayim, Hashem will block the sky and there's not going to be rain and what's, gonna, what's the next sentence? Uh, you'll be destroyed from the face of the earth. Three steps. God stops the rain. Stop. No rain's coming down and the people after that die. Why? There's, the animals don't have food. Nothing is going. It's a chain reaction. Every, no, no, no water in the wells. Nobody can take showers, dysentery, problems, and so forth and on. Just that you know, everything that the Gemara speaks about rains, it only applies to Israel. No other place in the world, just for the argument's sake. Just what the, the amount of rain that we had in New York in the last 30, 40 years, I mean 30, 40 hours, it's more than what Israel has in a whole year, in the average year. This unbelievable amount of rain. In Israel you have rain, 20 minutes, it stops. That's it. Two days in a row, non-stop rain, rivers of water on the street, you can't cross the street. Tons of rain. Tons of rain here. But in Israel it depends on the mitzvot and the sins of the people. That's how the rain is decided. It's different than all the other places. There's a whole Masechet Ta'anit in a Gemara about rain. It's interesting because throughout the rain we know sometimes the spiritual situation of the Jewish nation in the world. The, the do is also important. But anyway, what I started to say is, the Gemara says that when things happen it's to wake up the Jews. So we have one lake in Israel, it's called the Kinneret in Tiberia. And what happened over there? All the ducks, the goose, animals, go into this water to swim, to drink. All kinds of things, you know, there's chickens, there's all kinds of people, all kinds of animals. They also need the lake. 
So when they go into the lake, they make the lake very dirty. And there's all kinds of pieces in the water. And people throw bread there and you know, all kinds of things in the lake. There's thousands of thousands of fish going around and swallow everything dirty over there. And they filter the water. Not only that, all the dirt that's stuck to the rocks, if you really pay attention how God made the world, they go into the rock and they suck all the dirt, all this green dirt and all this black dirt that sticks to the ground, they clean it. Clean it out. If you ask the fish, what's your purpose in life that you live in this lake? They're not going to be able to tell you, I was created to clean the water from the Jews in Israel to drink clean water. They don't know it. The same thing the Goim don't know it. The Goim don't know it that they have beautiful bed and beautiful palaces and hotels and money and Rolex watches and beautiful cars and jets. Everything is beautiful. The Torah says that everything was created was created for Israel. God knows what he's talking about. Somebody knows better than the Creator what the creation was made for. Do you know anyone know better than Sony how they made their computer and what for? And all the, the benefits that this computer has to, effort, to offer or a car or a manufacturer of any other uh, device? Nobody knows better than the manufacturer and the manufacturer, the manufacturer of this world is Hashem and the purpose of this world is the Jews. And this is a field, we are the players and the world is the field. And everything around is to make the game go on. You understand? You need people to walk in a gate, you need people to clean, you need people to clean the floor, you need people to bring the basket, and to put the lights, and to, and to bring the trucks, and to whatever. There's a whole thing around that game. But nobody really cares about them. Even though if they make a lot of money selling tickets, buying this, selling that, selling this, offering all kinds of services, nobody cares about them. They're not showing them on TV. The guy selling million hot dogs a week here in Yankee Stadium. <laughs> Let him sell. They care about the five players. That's all. Five players. 100,000 people. People around. It's all... Nobody cares about them. The highlight is about those five players. They did good, they did bad, and that's what it's all about. When we enter Yom Kippur, few things we have to know. If there are still money that we owe people, we must pay it back, plus send an apology until the people will forgive us for what we did. It's not enough just to return the money. If you don't have the money, you owe $10,000 and you hardly have a thousand, give few hundred as a start. You go to the person and say, I don't have the money to pay you, unfortunately, right now. I'm working on it. Here is a down payment. Better than nothing. Because the person shake your hand and say, Shana Tova, it was worth it. If not, you cannot come clean out of the judgment. You should know that. Don't say, I didn't say it. That's the main problem is gazel, stealing. And especially when it's such a serious crime. Just, just that you know. One of the seven laws of Noah, of the Goim, is that you should not steal. This law applies to Goim as well, and it's even better than this. When a Jew steals, his punishment is to return what he stole and pay double. He stole a thousand, he has to return two thousand to that person. When a Goim steals, 
His punishment in a Torah is execution. No return double. That's why almost every guy in the world, every guy in the world, is in a state of execution. Every moment he's still alive is for whatever calculation that God has. What do we learn from that? That it's a very serious crime. It's not just another crime. There's not that many things the Goyim do that they deserve execution. The Goyim make many, many, many things that for us would be execution. For them it's allowed. I give you an example. He has relation with his wife. In a state of impurity. It's no sin for him. For us, it's, we finish our career. That's it. How many tears we have to spill to correct that one-time sin? He meet a girl in a club. It's not a sin for him. She can become his wife two minutes later. For us, it's courage. It's nidah. It's no kiddushin. Love from the Torah. He eats all kinds of bugs, flies. He makes sauce with flies all over. Crocodiles, snakes. Eat the tail. Eat in China. If you see, they eat, they eat everything that moves over there. It's not a sin for them. For us, one little fly got into the lettuce leaf that you eat after you wash it. You've been very careful with brushes, put soap, soaked and you put it, you soaked it inside soap, you brushed it with water and everything. A second before you put it in, those little flies went in and you put it in. Six sins from the Torah. Not intentional, but still six sins from the Torah. A Jew, if you really follow the demand that God has from a Jew, there are two possibilities. Either you get completely depressed and you jump from the roof of the building, or you become so proud that you feel like dancing in the streets and the choice is in your hand. The fools will say, I'm sick and tired of this. I can't take this anymore. I do it because I'm afraid. What can I do? The punishment involved. The smart ones. They feel like running in the street, dancing. Thank you, Hashem, that you, after all uh, 6.4 billion people here, you care about every little thing I move on Shabbat. It bothers you so much. It means I'm important. Right? It means I'm something special. It's up to you. The problem, the Yetzirah helps us sometimes to look at the bad, not at the good. One of the things we have to know before we enter Yom Kippur, that the Gemara promised us a way to, to escape the judgment. What? Kol ha-ma'avir al-midotav, ma'avirim lo kol pshav. If your natural way is to take revenge and to remember everything that people did to you, and you have the opportunity to strike back, and you sit and you do nothing, that's a great level. You know you reach a great level. There's a greater level than this. Not only you not retaliate, you even go and help the person who was trying to kill you a minute earlier. Yes, I know you may think, what, the Torah told us to be crazy? Yes. When it comes to being humbled and to be down to earth, there's no tolerance by God of any retaliation of a Jew to anybody on earth. I'll give you an example. The Chazonish, who doesn't know the Chazonish? He was the head rabbi of the world 
in the time of Ben Gurion, Prime Minister, the Prime Minister Ben Gurion, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. There was a meter shishim, I don't know, five two, five one, very short, old person. He didn't even want to waste the few hours to go see his wife before the wedding. He sent somebody, told him, go check if she's okay, I'll marry her. For the mitzvah, I'm not doing it for pleasure. For the mitzvah. And the Torah said that a person must see his wife before he marry her. And because of that, maybe, maybe, I'm not God, who am I to say it, but maybe, it happens to be that his wife was not normal 100%. And not only that, he didn't have children all his life. And from the day he got married until the day he passed away, he never changed one furniture in his house once. The same furniture, the same old wood beds and, and metal, ugly, looks like gel. You know, like they give you in gel. I was around him all his life and he never bothered him that his house is ugly or not so, you know, beautiful. And not only that, the fact that he's one of the greatest Talmidei Chachamim that live in the last thousand years, and I'm not exaggerating, because in Shulchan Aruch they added Chazonish. He only lived two generations ago. To almost every book, to the Gemara, that means it's somebody extra special. And the Chazonish, what was great about him, that he had great midot, great personality. It's not enough just to be a knowledgeable rabbi. It's, a na, it's a, the most important thing to check how you behave. Behave with people. And one time he went to a, to a synagogue that the Gabbai didn't know who he is. He was young. Big Talmud Chacham, but young. Wasn't famous yet in the world. And he took out Chumash from a shelf that he wasn't supposed to. I don't know, maybe it was Pesach, maybe they cleaned the book already, they didn't want anyone to take. He's a guest over there. He didn't know. He took it out. The Gabbai came to him, started to scream. What are you doing? Put it back. Screaming all over. Puts it back. What, if it would happen to us, we know we're innocent, what would we do? Who do you think you are? What's this? I want to speak to the rabbi here. Who's the president of this shul? Ooh, you, you read an article in the New York Times about this Gabbai. If he still has feet the next day. If he wake up, <laughs> if he even went to sleep. <laughs> Forget it. You're, you're like boiling like until you take revenge. What is this? Embarrassment in front of the people for taking Chumash? Want to read in the Torah and he's jumping? Chazani said to his student, after many years about this story, he said, I took revenge on this Gabbai, sweet revenge. Everyone was surprised. Chazani took revenge. Something is fishy here. So he said, I'll tell you what happened. The next day, I was still there. I came to the shul, after Shabbat, Sunday morning, he comes with a push kebab. That's Daka. It was very poor community. Everyone take it. Ten cents, quarter. I had all my money over there. I took all my money. It was 15 times, the story is 15 times when what the nicest donation he gets. The nicest out of all the people was 15 times more. Whatever it was. If people give $5, it was $70. Put it in a box. He looks at him. He never got such a donation. A young guy. All his money. He puts in a box. 
He looks at him and he remembers that's the guy from yesterday. So now he was so embarrassed. He doesn't know where to hide. So the next day, when he entered the stool, Hadonish, the Gabai was standing with the nicest kumash here. There were two ways to retaliate. The one we would and the one he did. The Gabai learned his lesson for the rest of his life. Hazonish got a huge reward. And the one who retaliated the way we were, not only we got the first punishment that we were embarrassed in public, on top of it we got another punishment for retaliating. Because the Torah says, do not take revenge. Three ways. A better story. I'll tell you a better story. About being humble. You humble with people? You don't care what they did for you? You're willing to forgive easy? God will treat you the same. You're not like that? Sometimes people tell me, it's very hard for me to, to forget what this person did for me. How long ago was that? 27 years ago. That means this person never passed one Yom Kippur, one Yom Kippur for the last 27 years. He still has revenge feelings in his heart for somebody. Very, very hard, this revenge thing. Wait. There was a story that happened in Israel. In traffic. 110 degrees, humid, Bnei Brak in the area over there. No air conditioning in the cars in that time. Not like today, they still have some air condition. Even though the car doesn't go up the hill to Jerusalem when you turn the air condition on. Because the engine is like a little motorcycle. But that's the way it is. You know, in the old days they didn't even have air condition. On the way up, in the traffic, one driver saw in his mirror that somebody is about to cut him off. He didn't really want, he just moved the wheel, made it straight. It looked like he's about to pass him. And now with all this traffic, he was so angry, he got out of the car. He came to the car behind him. The window is open, he opened the, the door and he starts banging the guy behind him, cursing, boom, giving him one punch to his face. Usually cases like this, you watch them and the nine o'clock news, somebody has to be stabbed, no? But here something, something unusual happened here. The driver that gets punched was a religious Jew with a yarmulke. So the first punch that he got, very hard one to the face, he told him, thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for what? Thank you for giving me that punch. Maybe it's because of the way I behave to my wife. He doesn't listen. He's angry. He gives him another one. Thank you. Maybe it's because I behave to my neighbors. Boom, another punch. Every punch he gives him, he says, thank you, thank you, thank you. After three, four punches, this guy is wondering. I'm eating this guy and he's answering me with all kinds of words. Then he started to listen what he says. He said, thank you, I deserve this one as well. And then he stopped. He was about to give the next one. And things will go quickly into his brain. What should I do? That's not a human being. That's an angel. I'm beating him up. He got nervous. And his heart broke. He realized, wow, what am I doing? 
You have to understand, when you don't retaliate, the person gets the embarrassment which is the worst revenge you can think of. The worst revenge. Like in a supermarket, you, somebody thought you're, you know, you're about to cut him or something and you call him, come, come, you were in front of me. He was about to jump in you, right away his face changed. Oh, no, I'm sorry, please, you know. Right away, the world. Pay attention what happened with the story, a real story. He brings this story in his book. And then what happened? He told him, he was about to give him another one. He said, okay, I see you relax. I want to invite you tomorrow house to my house for Shabbos. <laughs> he tells him. Now in the meantime, all the drivers around saw what's going on. So everyone gathered around the car to try to break the fight. By the time they got there, he already, they hear this religious guy bleeding. He's bleeding. And he tells him, I want to invite you to sh- for Shabbat tomorrow. And he said, no, no, he doesn't know how to answer. <laughs> think about it. It's the worst punishment he could ever get. He said, no, no, no. If you think you're getting away like this, no, no, please. That's only I, what I ask. I want you to come. You're married with your wife. You come to my house for Shabbat. He came for Shabbat and he became religious. What this guy got? He got three punches, which anyway he got. He wouldn't change the situation. What's the difference between him and us that he knew to get the best out of it? First, he was really erased, erasing his sins, because everything that happened to us erased some of our sins. Second thing, he made Kiddush Hashem in front of all the drivers around. And the best part throughout that, as the Gemara promised, mitzvah goreret mitzvah, because we did such two things, Hashem gave him a reward right there that that Jew came to his house for Shabbat and he made him religious because he saw the way they behave. Now, how many seminars you would give this guy? He would come to Ornatan five years. Still, he beat up people on the street. One little act, he became religious. Now, this guy, look what he gained. There's no end to his reward. For one little moment, and that's why the Torah says, Tole Eretz al Blima, it says it in the Prophet. That when a person is black his mouth in the middle of a fight and is not answering back, knowing, knowing he's right. If he's not right, what is the answer back? Knowing he's right. And he's silent. Hashem gives him reward that he saved the whole planet. That's what he says in the prophet. There's a difference between getting punched and what if he was really hitting you where he could kill you. What's the word? If, the, if the attack is a life threat, then you must try to save your life. But we are talking punches. You give him punches to the face, you know. It's not really life danger. If he comes with a knife, then you got to try to protect yourself. You're even allowed to kill him before he kills you. But the problem, the situation here after all was with no weapon. It was just, you know, beating him up. One guy came to Rav Gifter. Rav Gifter was the head rabbi of Chicago, Yeshiva, Tel Chicago. And he told him, Rabbi, I'm learning to all my life. And there's something that bothers me a lot. What bothers you? My wife every day tells me to take the garbage down. They didn't have the incinerator yet, that you saw it, you know. They have to take it down, the bag. And you know, I don't really care about my uh, my honor. I care for the Torah. You know, the Torah says that Talmid Chacham, you can't really use him to do anything for you. 
that's the halacha. So I feel bad, you know, that maybe my wife is doing a sin by asking me to take the garbage out. It's no respect for the Torah. He tells Rav Gifter. And Rav Gifter told him, you're right. Tell your wife, I say, she cannot tell you to take the garbage down anymore. Okay. The next morning, they wake up, he's brushing his teeth. His wife says, darling, the two black bags are waiting by the door. He say, no, the Rav, Rav Gifter says that I cannot take the garbage. You know, I'm teaching in yeshiva and this. It's no respect for the Torah that I take the garbage out. She said, oh, really? I'm sorry, I didn't know. Then they hear someone knocking the door. They open up the door. Rav Gifter is on the door. Pay attention. Rav Gifter. He pick up the two garbage, he puts it on his hand, and he runs out, outside. And he took the garbage out. He, if he would tell him, no, tell, you can take the garbage, there's no problem. The respect for your wife comes in the Torah before anything else, as we know that. We spoke about it many times before. Maybe it would work. Probably it wouldn't. Because a week later he would find another excuse not to take the garbage. But when he saw Rav Gifter came and took the garbage out, I <laughs> said, he cannot tell his wife any excuses anymore. The Rambam says one very, very important mitzvah to a wife is to respect the husband very much, like a king. Never to do something he hates in front of him. No matter what it is, even if she's allowed from the halacha. She won't eat watermelon. But her husband doesn't like the smell. What? Are you crazy? Go over there! I want to eat watermelon. What? No, don't do it. You want to do You go over there. Whatever. I'm just giving you a stupid example. Whatever it is, your husband doesn't like it, you have to respect him. This is, of course, after the husband has to give respect to the wife, like a queen. We know. We spoke about those things. So, one Talmud Chacham came to Rabbi Zilberstein, he said, I was in LA, in Los Angeles, 30 years ago. There was a store of a person that is an ignorant, not Talmud Chacham, nothing, religious, but doesn't know anything. And he has a wife, he say, in all my life, going around the world, in communities, I didn't see any woman that respected her husband like this woman respected her husband. Mamash, like a real king. Like if the president came, every time he comes, she gets up, and if somebody asks a question, she doesn't talk when her husband talks. She says, he knows. She knows all the, he says, she knows all the prices by heart. When he's not there, you ask her everything in the store, she knows everything better than him. When he's there, she says, my husband is the boss, you have to speak to him. Whatever, she gives him a lot of respect. And he says, I was following the way she respect their hus- her husband throughout the years that I was in LA. He said in the end, the key, her kids grew up. They didn't have any role model in a house because the father wasn't anyone that knows Torah. Each one of her children became a genius, successful student in a Torah. Each one of her children, one after the other. Top student. And then her husband passed away, the ignorant, and she married the head rabbi that came to that area. And now, pay attention what happened. Because she was respecting him, 
Her end was that all her children became rabbis and she married a head rabbi and in, her la- in the last year of her life she said that she told him that she is enjoying every minute that what she didn't have all the years because there was no Torah now with this rabbi is a Tamil Chacham, a teacher, all kinds of things and she is like already in Olam Abba why? nothing was special about this woman other than this the respect is something that is very important. The way you treat others, this is the way God will treat you. In the time of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, 2,000 years ago, the one who wrote the Zohar, Kabbalah, a couple came to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai with a problem in a house. They say, Rabbi, we have a problem. What's the problem? We married for many, many years, already 10 years, and we have no children. The Torah say when a man and a woman is married for 10 years and they don't have children, the husband is allowed to divorce her, give her get, to try maybe to have children with another woman. So, after 10 years, they came to the Rav. And they said, this is the problem that we have, and we want to get divorced. So Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai told them, okay, I'm going to arrange your get. But with one condition. Since you are not getting divorced because of a fight, or, or you're not hating one another, the opposite, the same way you got married with a party and dancing and happiness, I want you to make this mitzvah from the Torah because to give a get to a woman is another mitzvah from the 613. Because every mitzvah has the right time for it, to do it also in a kosher way, when you have to, sometimes. I want you to also make a party for everyone to see. To avoid the Chilul Hashem. That then people start saying, who knows why they got divorced. And in the old days, you know, a divorce 2,000 years ago, it's something you see once in a generation. I want you to make a party that everyone would know you're living out of... Happiness. Okay, they made a party. And everybody came to the party. And they made a meal. And in the meal, there was a lot of Bukharians over there. And they brought a lot of vodka. And they say, Smoy Shmo, Smoy Shmo, every two steps. Everyone drinks. You know, one reason I'm afraid to come to Bukharian's house and when the husband is there, because I know you can't go straight after. <laughs> right away they test you. They put a bottle like a, a bottle, a cup like this, begin to drink. <laughs> so somebody told me after the first time I went to meet my fiance, with a parent, after so much alcohol, the father put on the table. I saw stars. The next time I already came with a bottle of water inside my pocket. Every time I was pouring me, I would replace it with water. And pretending I'm drinking. Why? That's the test over there. If you're drinking, you're a man. Nobody asks you how much Gemara you know. You control the Shulchan Aruch. What's your Midot? How many people you kill? That's besides the point. Aikar, you know how to drink a lot. Ah, that's a man. This is Russian mentality. What can we do? All the, all the communities of the Jews all over the world, each one of them got a different curse from the Goim. Some got the curse of their food. 
Some got the first of the drink, the curse. Some got the curse of the behaving, their clothes, their music. All kinds of things got mixed into our mentality. It's a part of the curse that God says in the Torah will spread you in all the nations. So now they made a party, they this husband is drinking a lot. You know, people gave him a lot to drink, and he was half drunk, you know, he's drunk. And then after they want to finish now the party, they said, he was sitting down on a chair, he said, hey, dear, everything you want, you can take. We have a house together, we have donkey together, we have two horses, you know, that's the way it was. Whatever you want, take for yourself, and let's do the get. And you, you know, was half sleeping already. She said, okay, she saw she is drunk. So she told the servants over there, come carry him to my father's house. So they carry him, they took him to the father's house. Then when he was sober, he opened his eyes. So where am I? He said, you inside my father's house. Uh, what exactly I'm doing here? She said, you told me that I can take, every, I can take everything I want. Everything that is dear to me, I can take. And you're the only thing that is dear to me. She didn't want to get divorced. She lived 10 years, you know, and she wants to stay with her husband. He said, even though I don't have children, I want to stay with you. That's why I took you. So he, he, he saw like this. Everyone saw like this. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai saw it like this. He said, don't worry. Since you're such a nice couple and you make Hashem so happy, I'm going to start praying for you and you're going to have children. And that's what happened. And that comes in Midrash Shira Shirim. They wrote in the name of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai started to pray after 10 years and didn't have children. They didn't go to the professor in Belgium and pay $80,000 to the brokers. Maybe it's going to work. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai got them to have children. And they stayed together. One of the problems that we have today that finally when there's a woman that she's blessed with Hashem that the system is working and she's able to have children after two children and a dog in a backyard she's retired I can't have it go to the rabbi tell him I'm on a point of nervous breakdown I have two, two children three three oh, three it's already a real hero and she comes and she says I can't pressure, you know, I can handle the house. And today we have all kinds of rabbis, they go like this. We understand you, we understand. Come back in six months. We'll see what we can do. It's a common problem. It's not a joke. So the stipler, the father of Rafhaim Kanievsky, this is what he writes. His name was Kilot Yaakov, he wrote a book. He was a holy person. I once told you a story about him that in a war with the Egyptians in Yom Kippur, he knew already which soldiers are alive and which soldiers are not. And this is what he writes. He says like this, The women are making a big mistake when it comes to tortures and agonies that comes to the person in his life. It happens that women think that the more children they will have, the more suffering they will have and their life will be more and more difficult. But the truth is, there is no difference between a woman that has three children and seven children. She's going to have the same amount of suffering and effort. 
How can it be? Seven and three? You compare? Yes. Because he writes. Because first the older children will help to, to take care of the youngest. That's number one. Number two, the amount of suffering God decides on Rosh Hashanah. He writes how much suffering you're going to have, whether you have children or not. The suffering doesn't come through the children, they come through doctors. They come in work, they come with the neighbors, they come with Parnassah problems, with extra work, with problems with the in-laws. Millions of ways, you get it anyway. And the difference is, that here you had an opportunity to bring six, seven, eight tzaddik into the world and you didn't. And one of the questions that God asked these women, he said, why exactly, what exactly was your purpose in life? What does the first thing the Torah says about women? First thing in the Torah about Eve, Chazah, Betzar Tildibanim. You suffer in your labor. And what does it mean? that raising children is the hardest thing in life. And that's the test. That's the test. And you avoid the test. Especially, especially, when there's something else to think about here. What is the other thing to think about? Every time a woman becomes pregnant, she is a pipe between the earth and God to give an opportunity to another soul to come here and correct his previous life. There is any mercy and kindness better than this act in life that you can do for a person? Imagine if I could go to the cemetery and they show to me in a grave, here is the wicked person that's buried here suffering the war suffering. But there's a way to do ABC and correct him and stop his suffering. And you ended up saving him. How much he will thank you. How much, wow, what a chesed. There's no end to describe your chesed. And what did you do? You had an opportunity. And the worst part is that the suffering you get anyway. You did not save one little gram of suffering. And that's the biggest mistake in life today. People willing to take care of dogs which sometimes is harder than children. What about all the pleasure, pleasure children give? The happiest moment in life is when you get a phone call from your son's rabbi that your son is doing very well, that he's the best in the class, that he's impressed. And now you finally see rewards from your efforts. See rewards from your efforts. The Rabbi Nibobov in New York, in Williamsburg, in the last generation, had another rabbi that was in a big argument with him about an issue. Some issue. Two, two different opinions. The problem was that as long as it's an argument, Lashem Shamayim, to search for the truth, to do the right things in the eyes of Hashem, it's a mitzvah. When it becomes a selfish argument, a personal issue, it becomes the worst sin in humanity. That's what happened to Korach and 250 head rabbis against Moshe Rabbeinu. Hashem buried them alive with everything they had. Why? That was not already a question for the halacha. It was a question of who's going to be the leader. Him or us? 
this is something God cannot stand. In work, in a house, in business, with partners, in the line, to the store. It's all about power and pride. Who's going to go first? I'm better. Who are you? It all comes from one problem, pride. So the Rabbi Mibobov was, the other rabbi was speaking terrible against him in public. He's this, he's that. Speaking about him. And he had thousands of Hasidim followers. And you know, there's just as much as they can tolerate. They wanted to retaliate. What is this? It's the honor of our Admor, the rabbi. So the rabbi started to hear rumors that they're about to retaliate. And he called all the Hasidim to the shul. You know which shul they have? 5,000 people get into their shul. In Brooklyn. 5,000 people can see there. Huge place. You, you go over there, you get amazed by the size. He get all the Hasidim into the shul. Everyone is waiting to see what the Rebbe has to say. 17 seconds was his lecture. 17 seconds. Like mine. A little bit, a little bit shorter. Seventeen. <laughs> while you look here at the watch, I have to cut already half an hour by this move. Psychologically, you have to understand who really decide how the lecture is gonna be. The crowd, not the lecture, not the speaker. That's something that people don't know. It's by the way they behave in the time of the lecture. It's psychological influence on the speaker. And even more than that, by their merit. If the people who sit in the crowd have the merit to hear the truth, because not everyone God is willing to give him the truth to his end. If the people in the crowd have the merit to hear the right things, it comes out. If not, they hear everything but the truth. This, that. But we are now 72 hours before the appeal. Judgment were made. My purpose tonight is to wake up the hearts, the emotions, not only the logic. Logic we do all here. Today we have to talk a little bit to the heart. If something left, because God says there will be days that I will take your heart of rock and replace it with a heart of flesh. That means in the Torah that there will be people with a heart like a rock. You talk to the rock until tomorrow nothing happens. So the Rebbe from Bob of God and all his Hasidim is I have a very important message to you. The best retaliation for my embarrassment is to be silent completely. I don't want one person to say one word about this argument that I have with that person. Not one word. And that really will show me if you care about my honor or not. And he left. And then what happened? The other rabbi, when he heard that this is what happened last night, he didn't know where to hide his head from the embarrassment. For a few days he couldn't go out to the street. Seventeen seconds! He destroyed him. That's it. To go wars, throwing water, eggs, putting signs, Tashkevilim all over, spending millions. No, he's wrong, we're wrong on the, on the news. Hilul Hashem. 17 seconds, the argument was ending. After a few days, 
he went to his home to ask for forgiveness. He came to his home, he hugged him and cried, and thousands of people saw Kiddush Hashem. Kiddush Hashem, what a mitzvah, Kiddush Hashem. He could have gone 30 years more. Him, his children, his grandchildren, and everybody is a part of this argument, this machloket shelol Hashem Shamaim, and everyone gets burned, one after the other. One after the other. The Romans, the Gemara say the Romans, the Greeks, they made a decree that the Jews cannot keep Shabbat, cannot put filin, cannot do circumcision, and cannot do smicha for rabbis. They cannot prepare new rabbis for the new generation. They hoped that in one generation they destroy us mentally, spiritually. That was their goal. They didn't want to kill our bodies. Only to convert us to Jehovah Witnesses. To another of the 80,000 cults that goes around us. Believe it or not. That's why they put all their efforts just to take another Jewish soul. That's what they wanted to do. That's what the main thing in life. They go from another country into another country hoping to make the people move into their foolish religion, false religion. And what did they say? That the horn, the horn of the ox, every Jew has to take it and write on the horn of the ox, I have no part in the God of Israel. That was the decree. Similar to what the Nazis did, that you have to put the Star David on a, on a jacket. You walk in the old days there was no car, so who was your car? The horse, the ox, you sit on that and you move around. Imagine you walk in the street with a flag. I have no part in the God of Israel, Hazri Shalom. But the truth, you know really what was the real decree? That's what we thought. But the truth was that you know what they said? In the old days there was no bottles for babies. So how they gave, they gave the baby milk and something to drink with horns. That was the bottles. Once they kill the ox, they take the horns, they drill in it, and they make it into a bottle. They make a very, very little hole in the edge of it, and they put it in the mouth of the after they wash it, of course, and everything, and they let the baby feed. They feed the babies. And they knew what we still didn't understand after 20, 30, or 40 years we're here. They knew that what you feed the babies will design his personality for the rest of his life. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu didn't want to breastfeed from the Goya. A baby, he didn't want to breastfeed from him. The Allah in Shulchan Aruch says, if God forbid something happened to the mother, and they need to bring a woman to breastfeed the baby, to make sure it's not going to be a Goya. And not a Jewish woman that is not Shomer Shabbos. Because when the baby is breastfeeding from his mother, he gets the negative and the positive from her. And if it's Chaz Shalom, one of these people, right away you feed him with bed. And that's what they wanted, that inside that horn, it would say, we have no part in the God of Israel, and that's what they're going to drink. And you have to know that words has the most power out of everything in this creation. Words. Words that you say now, 2,000 years later, are existing and making impression in a creation. You should know it. We have hundreds of examples in the Torah. Not only that, the scientists develop a machine that can come to areas 24 hours later 
and detect the conversations of yesterday. Did you hear about that? Imagine we are now today. An FBI detective will come here tomorrow at the same time, 24 hours later. And we'll have a machine here. And he's going to be able to detect maybe not everything, but parts of what we say here with the waves that are still exist. Because how you hear me now? I speak, I create waves. My neshama, my soul, that's the one who makes the voice. The voice, every person has a different voice, it's a personality of his neshama, of his soul. You can see the neshama of a person through his voice and through the eyes of a person. The face of the person indicates about the inside. That's why in Hebrew the face called Pnim, inside. That's why a Jewish woman cannot cover her face like the Muslims do. They wanted to be more righteous and more modest than us. But they made a big mistake. Because we're not allowed. God doesn't want us to, to cover the face. Face is something special. There's a lot of things involved with this. The eyes. The eyes of a person. Why is it so important not to look at bad things, bad pictures, not modest women? So everyone will answer because it creates dirty thoughts. And dirty thoughts lead to sins. And some of these sins are the worst in the Torah. True. That's one of the main reasons. But there's another reason for it. The eye of a man. How do you write eye in Hebrew? Ayn. How much is Ayn? Ayn is how much? Seventy. Numeric values. Gematria. Seventy. Yud is ten. Noon is fifty. How much is together? One thirty. What's the name of Hashem? Yud Kevav K twenty six. Five times twenty six is hundred and thirty. Each eye, each eye of a Jew, Ain and Ain, has five times the name of Hashem Yud Kevav K. In two eyes, it's ten times. Ten times the name of Hashem, which we have ten Sfirot in Olam, ten different levels. Each one for each thing. When you do that, you make damages in the spiritual world. The name, in every part of our bodies, if you learn about the secrets in the body, you see, the, you see God in every little part and every little part of your body, inside. Inside and outside. And this is what King David writes in Tehillim. Mi besari eloka. I look at my flesh. I don't see body, I see God. He saw God. We see earth. That's the difference. When Prophet Samuel comes to make King David a king, he tells Ishai, Where are your sons? He brings another one, and another one, and another one. And he has a horn with oil. And this horn, yes, he's supposed to spill it on the head of the king. And from the moment the oil touched the head of the future king, he becomes the king immediately. That means that if a man he was standing there, and he didn't spill the oil on his head. A minute before, you abused him verbally, cursed him. You made a sin. You embarrassed the Jew. A second after he spilled the oil on his head, you cursed him. He can take a sword and chop your head off. He doesn't need judgment. The king. The king is allowed to do a lot of things, even more than the Jewish court, more than Sanhedrin, more than the Beisdin. He can take a person and decide he should be killed because of the way he behaves, even though he didn't bring witnesses, nothing. The king take his sword and kill him right there. Learn in Rambam, Ilchot Melachim, what the king is. 
has power that you cannot imagine to be the king but not, we're not talking about King Hussein <laughs> we're talking king that God sent the oil for him he get a power, the spirit of God that's what King Solomon, age 12, asked God give me the intelligence to judge your nation fairly and he gave him all the blessing in the Torah, all of them so the prophet Samuel comes he looks at the first son, tall, handsome nice beard Next great impression, he has beautiful hat. He goes like this maybe. <laughs> he tries to spill, doesn't work. Goes to the next, the next. One, two, three, four, five. What's going on? Do you have another son? He's embarrassed to say. Why? There's a gingy, a redhead, short one with curly hair. He's playing flute, you know, with the with the chef with the sheep. He's a shepherd. Shepherd. Wow, you know, like we went to Israel, you drive on the road, you see these Arabs going with the sheep. Come on, Nitla. <laughs> this is the way it was. You look at him, you look at him. Same thing it looks. What was Moshe Rabbeinu? Shepherd. This is what God wants to tell us. You have to understand, if you take care of the sheep, you can be a king. If you care for the sheep, you care for the people. You don't care for the sheep, you don't care for the people. That's what happened to Rabbi Udanasi. He made one mistake as the president of Israel. The calf was about to be slaughtered. He told him, why are you coming to me? God, that's what you were made for. He was right. He didn't have mercy on a little calf. Egel, 13 years suffering. He has problems in a gallbladder, stones, screaming, pain in the teeth. When he was screaming, he told the servant, make the horses make a lot of noise. I don't want the people to hear how much I suffer. Thirteen years he suffered. I want to ask you a question. Use your common sense. Rabbi Udana was for sure greater than us. If you know his life story. He lived 120 years. He had a palace. You know a palace? Much nicer than Saddam's seven different palaces. The difference between Saddam's palaces and his palaces, Saddam's palaces was made on the blood of his people. Everything over there is stolen, it's not his. His palaces was 100% clean from one penny of stealing one penny. He was his money, God blessed him with wealth. And he was the greatest Chacham. He was such a perfect human being. The Gemara asked a question, show us a figure. Who deserved to be the Messiah? The Gemara says two, two possibilities from the existing people in this generation Rabbi Udanasi, perfect, perfect level from the previous generation Prophet Daniel that they threw into the lions very hungry lions, they didn't touch him in the old days there were mutual punishment that they used to give to the people one of them was a very common punishment to take lions and starve them from few days and throw the person to the hole, to the pit. And then everyone around and they see how the lion tear them apart and everyone is clapping. This is the way they used to do it. The Greeks, the Romans, all these times. One time there was an advisor to a king, a Jew. The king loved him very much. 
And not only he loved him, he loved the Jews in general because of him. Because he was such a nice person, rabbi, you know, with, with great personality and knowledge. He gives him great advices. And there was another advisor which was a goy. And the goy goes nuts every time the king gives a compliment to the Jew. It kills him. Just kill him. I gotta get rid of this one. So what happened? He was convincing the king for years that he did that, he did this. The king told him nonsense, nonsense. One day, he said he made a setup. He brought false witnesses. Everything was that's it. You see? The king has a problem now. He loves him, but justice is justice. The the, the witnesses sworn. Everything is kosher. Gotta kill him. So the king told him, I'm sorry, you let me down, I had trust in you, you know. And they put him down to the pit, with a few lions over there. And he's standing over there and the lions didn't touch him. One hour, two hours, everyone's waiting, what's going on here? So that advisor told the king, oh wait a minute, we have to wait, maybe we should come back tomorrow, they'll be hungry. Because <laughs> I think they're full. So the king said, how do you know? He said, yes, no, don't, you don't see. They're not even hungry. So the king said, let's check if they're hungry or not. Bring the Jew out. They put the goy in and left them a snake and they didn't leave a part of his body. They killed him apart. This is, by the way, another way God is, is using to judge us. Your own mouth is your, own, your main judge. What comes out of your mouth about others first thing will be used against you if you come say this person is A, B, C if you are the same you like A, B and C right away you're gonna use what you said against you you say this is not allowed and you do it even if it was allowed say, you say that it's not allowed and you used to do it for you it was not allowed because in your mind it was not allowed and so on and so on that's why we say a lot, don't open your mouth to the Satan. Don't open your mouth. The Gemara says there was a rabbi, his name was Flamo. Every day he used to wake up after he washes his hand, he, he makes Birkota Shachar, he takes his tefillin and tzitzit, he says Shema Israel by the mezuzah, he's about to leave the house, he says, May God you send a direct arrow in, the, uh, in between the eyes of the Satan. <laughs> And the Satan was getting very angry. What is this? Every day he kills me, this father. <laughs> he said, I gotta do something to him. I gotta do something to him. So what happened? One day the Satan came. And he put a custom like an old man. With like leprosy. You know, shin. He has all kinds of pimples. Yellow pimples. Dripping. Mama, she'll just look at him, you want to vomit. And the poor person comes to the house and say, Give me, give me, I'm hungry. So he says, Okay, okay, well, well, let me go get bread. So he followed him into, into the house. Now, he doesn't know he's the Satan, he looks like a man. The angels, some of them can come, they can look exactly like men, you know. Like Eliyahu You may in your life exchange something with Eliyahu Navi or spoke to a person on the street there was Eliyahu Navi and you don't know it was Eliyahu Navi. You don't know. There's many examples in the book that Eliyahu Navi came to people and then he told them, I'm Eliyahu Navi and this is what's going to happen to you. And that's what happened. Eliyahu Navi, he was a man that became an angel. Nine people went to the wall to come with their bodies without burial. 
one of them was Eliyahu Navi, one of them Rabbi Yoshua Ben Levi, Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, and some Goim even, few Goim in the list, few Goim king, righteous Goim. So, uh, he thinks there's a poor man, he comes into the house, hurry up, I'm hungry. Then, he's nervous, you know, his wife is not there, he's looking for the bread. By the time he brings the bread, he died. He sleeps, now on the floor in his living room. And now this friend will say, wow, what did I do? Why didn't I run to find the bread? He's dead inside my house. He begins to cry. The Satan made noises outside. Oh, Flemo killed a guest. He hears noises outside. You know, he's playing with him now. He hears the people in the street, like people screaming, did you hear what happened? Somebody pulled Ken to Flemo and he killed him. So he got so nervous, he came out of the back door and he started to run. Where did he run? to the bathroom. In the old days, they didn't have bathroom in the house, five, ten. <laughs> there was one for the whole town, far away, that he won't smell. There was no New York City town, you know, environment, what, what do they call them? There's uh, sanitation. Uh, you have to go to the bathroom, I told you, in a field or somewhere. If it's taken, the public one, you go inside the bushes, what can you do? That's the, that's the way, and this is, by the way, us. I'm, I'm sure you're thinking, what? How could I live in such a such life? You already did in the previous life, in a different body. So, today I know people, if they know somebody sat on the bathroom, they're not even entering. I wonder what they did two, three hundred years ago. Anyway, not that long, fifty years ago it was like this. How long do you think we have bathrooms? One or two generations, that's it. For sure there was no TV inside, <laughs> and cream <laughs> all over, and towels with different kinds, the mirrors all over. Sometimes you're not sure who's in the bathroom, you or the other person in the other side. So, he runs to the bathroom. It was Erev Yom Kippur, well like today, much before Yom Kippur, and he hides inside. <coughs> and then when he was inside the bathroom, all of a sudden he saw that old, that four men come inside, you see? I tricked you. So who are you? I said, I'm the Satan, don't worry, you didn't kill anyone. He said, why did you do this to me? He said, because I got angry at you, every day you curse me. What do you want from me? He told him. What happened? So what do you want from me? I only do what God told me. I'm programmed, I'm a robot, I'm an angel. Oh, you curse me every day. He said, but, but how do I get rid of you? He told him. He said, he said something nicer. And that was the end of the story. This flame Every day was cursing the Satan, the Satan came to him. Who said we have permission to curse him? This is a servant of God. Servant of God. Huh? Why not? Why not? Robots. Robots or what? You know how many robots are crying now in China when you press the wrong button? They have to make it real. One thing you have to know, for those who have a little confusion, Every story in a Gemara, what you see in the face of the story is one thing, what the inside of the story is completely much, much larger and deeper and deeper and deeper. The Maharal, the Maharal Miprak, 450 years ago, wrote a whole book about the secrets and the stories in a Shatz, in a Gemara. It's all cover up. It's all cover up for the real secrets of the Torah. 
דארי ז"ל, דארי הקדוש, זה גורבי רבי יצחק לורי אשכנזי, דלברי אינספן, the famous Kabbalist, the biggest in the history, after רבי שמעון בר יוחאי. He says that all the secrets of the oral Torah, all the secrets of the secrets of the secrets of God are hidden in the stories of the Shah. One of the greatest pleasures that a Jew will have when he leaves this world, if he deserves to see it, to know all the mysteries that he has in life will be revealed one after the other. It's a part of the pleasure. But now you know why you missed the bus that day. Now you know why somebody out of nowhere came and slapped you in the face. All these things will already fall into face and you're going to see the connection and everything. And the more you learn, the more you learn, the more efforts you put, you will have more merit to know more of the secrets of Hashem. The Chachamim wrote in their book that the truth of God is in between the lines of the Gemara. But just not everybody gets the merit to see it. The more efforts you put into it, the more chances you have to see more and more and more. But not one Jew see like the other. What's the, what's the proof? You can see in the same yeshiva, two people sit and learn from morning to night. One guy, leave it, leave it, he cannot live without it. He gets up from the Gemara, his mind is in a different world. He's not really here. The other one learn it like it's another history book, newspaper. He's on the way back now to, to his pleasure. The Rambam writes, we have to finish with few things of tshuva. Maybe we'll make it, Vezrat Hashem. You ruined my illusion now. I thought, look, you know how great, I only speak an hour. Ooh, we have only 12 more minutes left. The Maharam Sheik, you know what the, who was the Maharam Sheik? In every Gemara in the end, you have Maharsha and you have Maharam Sheik. Who was the Maharsha? Maharsha had hair like a hippie. Longer, longer than all the women here. He never cut his hair. And he was one of the biggest rabbis in that generation, hundreds of years ago. So you may ask the question now, what is this? Growing hair like this. Nazir. Not the village over there. It was not the Nazir also. Nazir, you're right. Nazir grow hair. He has very long hair. And nobody knew why he has long hair. And you know how it is. When people don't know, they talk. You heard, you heard. I think that's the case, that. But everyone knew he knows all the Torah. So it was a contradiction. How can it be? Rabbi, like this? One time somebody broke in, broke into his house and watched what's going on inside and they saw he stayed to learn all night he, now he doesn't go to sleep and he take his hair and he tie it to the chandelier because after he fall asleep his head falls down and he wakes him up pulls his hair that's the reason he grew hair because he never wanted to waste a minute of learning in his life Mamash like us <laughs> didn't waste a minute of our life. You see a person, you have no idea what's behind his behaving. You know, I told you once, there was one, one guy who was a guard in the jail in the time of the Gemara. He used to wear leather boots. Mama, she looked like a Nazi cap with the uniforms, everything. No tzitzit, no yarmulke. 
Mamash looked like a guy and he wore it in jail. And one of the Chachamim saw him in the street. He wanted to talk to him. He said, I can't talk to you now. I gotta run. He ran. The next day he saw him. So yes, now you can talk to me. Why are you like this? Why? He said, you know, I'm pretending I'm a guy. So why? He said, I work in a jail. And they bring prisoners, Jews and Goim. And when they bring a woman, a Jewish woman, into the jail, right away all the Goim looks at her and they want to rape her. So I always make separations between them. But if they know I'm a Jew, I'm not going to be able to do it. I have to pretend like I'm one of them. And this is the way I protect men and women not to be together. And I stay up all night to watch that there's no sins inside the jail. You look at him in the street, what would you say, look at this guy, wicked, this. You know, they, you know what happened in Israel? Now it's the time of the slichot. That's maybe the opportunity to say, whoever is interested, we're gonna, after our week, we do slichot. The last slichot together before Yom Kippur. It's an hour, but it's worth it. So, who showed up in Jerusalem, in a Bukharian neighborhood, the center of the most religious neighborhood in the world. You know, the Shkunat Abukharim in Yerushalayim. Every, every, every entrance is a yeshiva from 80 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. Who'd show up? 20 guys with motorcycle Harley Davidson. Beard, sunglasses, tattoos. Like you see in the road here. They're showing up to the shul. Five in the morning or one o'clock at night. You know, you can do it either after midnight or in the morning early. They show up to the shul, they come to Slichot. Serious. <laughs> one guy, pay attention what can happen. One religious guy, a fool. What a fool. I'm really not jealous with this guy. He got so angry that they come. What are they doing in our neighborhood, this monster, you know? In his mind. He took a knife and he cut one of the motorcycles has a leather seat, you know? A long one. And he cut the leather seat and that's supposedly something that is very hard to replace. You have to order it from America. <laughs> so when they came out, they came to, to Daven Slichot. Yeah, they're wicked, they don't keep Shabbat. We all know it. Where does it say in the Torah that a Jew that you don't like his look or his behaving come inside the shoes, you kick him out? The halacha doesn't say it. The halacha say you don't count, count him as one of the ten. That's true. Because he is like a goy. Yes, that's true. But at the same time the halacha say that it is mitzvah to bring him and teach him. Who knows what a damage this person that cut the, 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 the chair did. First of all, it's not allowed by the halacha. You're not allowed to cut, even for a goy, a chair or something. You're not allowed to, to hurt his, uh, his items. This is stealing. Right there, this person cannot pass Yom Kippur. The biggest damage that he made was really for himself. Not for the guy. The guy will pay $100 to replace the chair. This fool will never be able to find this Harley uh, motorcycle to pay him back for the $100. It's a, it's, a, it's a sin for life. That's it. Go find the guy now. Besides, the person who told me the story told me when they got out, they got so upset. They, they said, this is the face of the religious people. Two sins. One, stealing. 
herding someone's property and the worst is Chilul Hashem Chilul Hashem now the whole, they show it on the TV they show it in the main, in the prime time of Israel five million people saw that the non-religious people wanted to come to shul to do slichot and one religious fool that called himself religious made such a chilul hajem poor guy that's already the worst thing he did in his life for sure why? chilul hajem in public? same thing those Jewish landlords that every month you see them on the face of New York Times, New York Post they don't give heat to the goyim they freeze in the winter or whatever problems in the building they take them to court and they don't fix why? greed, money they want to save another $20,000 a year whatever does it work it? instead of 4 million you make 3.5 million does it work it? that they show your face in front of 20 million people which those people anyway hate us and they're looking for a reason to hurt us and uh, millions of chain reactions can develop from your stupidity and your greed not only one little thing the person don't have the ability to see where his sin really ended you know, the scientists said that when a butterfly moves his wings it makes energy from one side of the world to the other when a Jew pick up grass, weeds, pull it from the ground it makes a chain reaction all over the world and it's needless to say when words of Torah come out of the Jews mouth when the Torah already said that the Torah revived the world it's the gasoline of the earth how much energy creates in the world that's what killed the Romans and the Greeks to come all the way to spend billions to bring the army with horses and boats to interfere with one shul in Jerusalem on the mountain a prayer? What do you care about this? As long as they exist, it shows that we are fake. So there are two ways. Some people want to elevate themselves more than the public. So since they cannot do it, they push everyone down. He's bad, she's bad, he's bad, he's terrible, this is the world. Everyone is down and now he's up in his dreams. And some people, no, they elevate themselves. What do I care about the rest? I have to worry about my own, myself. You have to worry about you, you, your children, but you come first. You and your son in a desert, there's enough water for one. You and your wife, you and your son, you and your father, you drink. Your life comes first. That's why you can never commit suicide. It's not in your hand, life and death. The Rambam says, Five different wicked people, we have a few more minutes, let's take advantage on it. Five different wicked people, the Torah speaks about, they call Minim. Someone who, who is there to say, there is no God. Category one, remember, five provisions. No God, or there is no leader to the world. Second, there is a leader to the world, but more than one. Like the Greeks. The God of this, the God of that. Or the Christian. God, Son of God, and the Spirit, and the Grandma, and whatever. <laughs> okay? So that's, whatever, you know. So that's, that's second category. Then, 
And oh, that's now he brings the third category, that's where Christianity falls in, that God runs the world through a human being. He, the energy has to come to the world through somebody, through this person, like they say. He is in is a broker between God and humanity. Or someone who said there is God, but he has an image, a size, a picture, color. And when he prays, look what we're talking about. It could be us for sure. We pray, we do mitzvot all our life, but when we pray to Hashem, we have in mind an image, light. Yud Kei the letters of Hashem, the way it appears in the Torah. Any kind of spiritual expression, clouds, the sky, whatever, everyone imagines something. It's not allowed. Because God doesn't have an image and doesn't have a size. You cannot describe God. So that's one category, one, one section. The next one, There are something that call in the Gemara Apikos. It comes from the Greek language, Apikos. Who is the Apikosim? This, by the way, this list that I'm mentioning to you now, this is the list that the Torah said that those people have no power to the world to come. Even though they Jews, they lose automatically. If they died in this status, they lose automatically the part that they were born with to enter the life of eternity together with God. Pay attention to the damage for such stupid idea. One, two, five ideas. How much is the pain? How much is the suffering later? Next, Apikorsim, someone who says there's no prophet. Nobody knows the future. Don't believe in this. There's no prophecy. Or there is no book from God to humanity. God never revealed himself to people. He never gave any information. Or, he said, Moshe Rabbeinu added parts on his own mind to the Torah. I hear it all the time from people. Or, that the creator of the world for sure is exists, because we see the brilliance in a creation. But, you cannot read the mind of the people. You laugh, but there are people who speak like this. Oh, he doesn't know the future. How can he know the future? The future doesn't exist yet. He doesn't know it. I don't believe in it. This is called Apikorsim. Then there's another part. Those who say the Torah is not legit 100%. Most of it is correct, but there is one or two problems in the Torah that that cannot be, or this cannot be. Why, do you really believe in this? You believe that Abraham took sand and threw it in the face of the goyim and it became arrows into the, to the eyes? You really believe bread fell from heaven? Come on. Be serious. It's the rabbis, they added salt and pepper to the steak to make it more delicious. It wasn't really original like this. Somebody like this, by saying it once in his life, lost everything. Now you're going to understand the power of speech, for good or for bad. What comes out of your mouth is the number one thing you have to be aware, aware of. Next, another person that says the Torah, the oral Torah, it's rabbis. I believe in the written Torah. But all these decrees that Rabbi made, 
to do this, not to do that, not to do this. Or that the, the oral Torah, it's not from God, that people made it. It's a part of this apicorsim that have no part of the world to come. Or someone who said that the Creator replaced one mitzvah with another and this mitzvah is not existing in our time anymore. It doesn't exist. Or it used to be true, but not to our generation. Someone who worships idols. Someone who has one mitzvah in the Torah that he knows is not allowed, such as wearing shatnez, or shaving with a razor, or cutting his peot above the bones here, with anything, or eat something that knows is not kosher, in, in a system, repeat, repeatedly. And he ignores one, even one mitzvah in the Torah, repeatedly, even though he was warned and people say, stop, stop, stop. That's one of those who kofrim in the Torah, that didn't accept the Torah fully, which already there's a real problem in his way. Another thing, someone who does it, to get the Jews angry, on purpose. For instance, they bring him a glad kosher steak, cow, beef, and pork, in the same party. And he goes to the side of the pork. Even though he likes beef more than pork. Because he saw religious people over there, he wants to get them angry. Even though eating non-kosher, it's not a sin that you lose your part of the world to come. The Torah separates which mitzvot are more severe than the others. Once you do it to get the others angry, you fall into that category. You lose his, his part of the world, even if it's a small sin. Someone, I say bow down to idol, and someone who forced the public to make sin. Such, I give some examples, selling pornographic things. Dirty movies, dirty CDs, dirty video, dirty music, making parties to men and women mix, mix DJs. This is all falling into this category, Machtiya Rabim. Convincing the public to go to a cult. Convincing the public not to help the yeshiva. Convincing the public not to come to the lecture. Even five people, two people, don't go. What do you need? Let's go to play billiard, whatever. What do you need this lecture? You're not tired of it after two years, come on. Convincing the public, more than two, two and up. It's called Machti Arabim. As an example, the Rambam brings the Rovam Ben Nevad that put idol on the way to Jerusalem. Told the people, you don't have to go all the way there. You can worship Hashem here. He puts an idol over there. For the ignorance. The king says, well, that's what happened. Even though in his level of Torah he was like King David. But Amir respects that his brother, Rehavam, the other son from King Solomon, was the leader in Jerusalem. Remember there was a separation between Judah and Israel, two parts. And he said, no, he was, he was afraid that when he goes to Jerusalem with the people from the center of Israel, they're both going to be there and everyone will pay respect to the Rehavam because he's the leader of Jerusalem in Bet Amikdash. 
So in order for him not to be in Paris by his honor and his pride, he went and convinced the people to stay there and to worship idols. And the Gemara says that God came to him and told him, make repentance and I assure you that you, me and King David will enjoy together in heaven. And guess what he answered God? Who's first, me or him? Who's higher? God told him, him. So I'm not interested. What do you learn from here? This is what the Gemara says. The higher your spiritual level is, your tests become harder and harder. Someone who's greater than his friend, equally his evil inclination is greater than his friend, equally. In order for him to have a test. He stayed with the same test he had 20 years ago, no test anymore. Somebody who's religious 10 years, he doesn't have a test anymore if to light fire on Shabbat or not. What? He's going to light <laughs> Give him a million dollar cash, it's not even a test. That's it, it's in his veins already. It's in the system. But the beginner has a way, wow, I'm going to lose money, I saved $500. Maybe I'll do it only this time, and so forth and so on. And the end of the list, someone who does not participate in the public missions of the Jewish nation. Everyone is doing something and it's not for me. I'm isolated, I'm not interested. Someone who does things in public and is not embarrassed, such as Hilul Shabbat, driving a car on Shabbat, lighting cigarettes on Shabbat, and so forth, and going on a street with a girl, hug her on the street like this. Hi Rabbi, <laughs> At least some people when they see me coming on the street, it goes like this. Hi Rabbi! Some people go, hi! Hi, hi! I don't know if they're full or they <laughs> But maybe it's better. They're not embarrassed from a man more than embarrassed from Hashem. I'm not sure what's worse. And, someone who translates the Torah according to his convenience, not according to the truth. This you have to do, this, look, this is what it means, it's called Megalepanim Torah. falls into that category. Someone, a Jew, that turned in another Jew to the going, to the police, to the court. He called the police, that Jew is stealing money from the taxes. I have proofs against him. Go to these streets and take him. He lost his part of the world to come. Finish. Finish. One little stupid act. Then cannot be a part of the minyan anymore. You cannot let him enter the shul. He comes to the shul, he wants to prayer, you have to push him out. If he doesn't want, you beat him up. You put signs all over the streets against him. In stores, in shul, he cannot be a part of the community. Why? He testifies against another Jew in a court. Before the question, I have one last minute. One last minute. So, oh, he turns not only the money of another Jew to the goyim, 
he turns the, needless to say, the body of the person, the person itself, to get killed. Electric chair or whatever. Have no parts to the world to come. Someone who takes control on the public because he's a, he's a strong person, gangster. The people are afraid of him. In the streets, he puts people, mafia, like head of the mafia. Somebody like this, if the Jews are afraid of him because he's around in town and he makes people miserable, he's losing his part of the world to come. But, everything, everything, can be corrected by making repentance. The power of repentance is above everything. You murdered a million people. You may think, that's it, I'm a lost case. You're wrong. You can make repentance. Hordus. Hordus. You know, what's his name? Herod? King Herod? Herod? King Herod. He killed all the Chachamim. All the Chachamim, one after the other with his sword. Almost all of them. Tosfot say not all of them because he brings proof that some of them survived. He came to Baba Ben Buta. He was blind. He told him, you see this terrible slave? Because he was from descendants of slaves. He was the slaves of Matithiao and Yehuda Maccabin, Hanukkah, the Hashmonaim, the Kohanim, the Hashmonaim. He killed all of them, the Hashmonaim. And he wanted to claim that he is the last descendant from the family, that he will be the king of Israel. There was one girl left, and he wanted to have relation with her, to merge into the family, even though he was a slave. A slave. And a slave, that a, that in the old days used to have slaves, a guy that is a slave of a Jew, automatically they convert him to become like a woman. That means he's obligated in every mitzvah that a Jewish woman is obligated. But he's not obligated to mitzvot that depend on time. Why? Because he is a servant of his master. The same way a woman is, a de- a, 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 is committed to the children, she cannot go to shul to minyan or putfilin or do certain mitzvot that depends on time, because she's busy with the children. He is busy with serving his master and his family. He is not obligated to do tefillin and certain mitzvot, but he is obligated to keep Shabbat, what modesty if it's a woman, and so forth and so on, like a woman. And this is the way he was. He was a convert, but a slave. And he wanted to become the king. So this girl knew that he's about to have relation with her. She went on the top of the building, and she screamed to the people, they said, what are you doing there? She said, listen, I have an announcement. If somebody comes and says from the, the family of the, of the Hashmonaim, he's a slave, he's a liar. Because I'm the last one and she jumped, she's very my friend, and she jumped and she killed herself. So what happened now? This one, he went and killed all the Chachamim. Why? Because the Chachamim say he cannot be the king. They were against him. It was the politics. And one Chacham, his name was Baba Ben Buta, was blind. And he came to him, fooling him. He doesn't know it's him. He came to him like another person from the street. Hey, Rabbi, how are you today? Yes. He told him, what do you think about this slave? Look, you see what he did to the rabbis. I would choke him. I would kill him. So he said, why? You cannot speak against him like this. 
He was telling him this, the rabbi said, no, you're not allowed to curse him. He said, come, I came to you to curse him. I want you to curse him. Why not? He killed all the, all the rabbis. He said, no, the Torah said he cannot curse. Everything he said, he answered him in a pasuk from the Torah. And then he told him, I am the one. If I knew the Chachamim are righteous like you, and this is the way they are, such quality, I would never touch them. Now when I destroy the world, how can I make repentance? So he told him, you shut the light of the, lo- of the world, that there is less Torah in the world, the Torah is the light of the world of God. You have to turn the light back on. The house of Hashem, the Bet HaMikdash, is falling apart. It needs construction. Bet HaMikdash. Go build it. The Gemara says, he made the Bet HaMikdash the nicest palace in the history of this world. Gold, marbles, nobody could imagine. People would look at it with beautiful blue and white and gold colors. People were amazed when they see his creation. The Gemara says someone who saw his building, his creation, never saw a building in his life. So pretty. That's what this is. And what he did, he wanted to make repentance. If this slave ex-goy it burns him for what he did and he told him, the Chacham told him yes, you make repentance that's how you make repentance why can't we? last 72 hours someone who still owes Zakot will give Zakot someone who hurt his wife all year will apologize to her for morning tonight buy her gifts, make it up to her and promise to change and really to change if a person has in mind in the middle of Yom Kippur that is continuing to do an ex sin he cannot make repentance in Yom Kippur for that sin because the condition to make repentance is first to regret the sin second to say vidui okay to make vidui to reveal the sin in front of God when he prays that's why Yom Kippur is full of viduim third is to have pain about the sin fourth to accept never to repeat if you know you're about to do it tomorrow you're wasting your time about that particular sin you did not correct it therefore that's a chance the Torah says this day God is willing to open a new page with you what a chance and I know there will be foolish people that rent a video and watch another guy shooting a gun most of them are of ignorance. You take an opportunity to collect diamonds and you're wasting time watching, playing in the internet, eating. And now one day you can fast. You cannot wear leather shoes. No relation with the wife. No eating, no drinking, no smearing any mo- uh, lotions on the body, oil, anything like that. Not allowed in Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur was made to be in shul from the beginning to the end. The truth is, from the morning, around 7, 8 in the morning, most shuls start until 8 in, 7, 8 in the evening straight. Five prayers. Shacharit, Musaf, Mincha, Neila, and Arvit. In the end, five prayers. One after the other, in between each one of them, one hour slichot. 12 hours straight standing, feeding, standing, feeding 
What do you care? Suffer one day, your ear will be much better. Believe me, it's worth it. Not only for this world, for the world to come. And the most important thing is not only the prayer, just to go and repeat like a parakeet. Really to break your heart. If your heart is not broken, what's the purpose here? Go like this. What's that? You really have to cry tears. And when you cry, take the tears from your eyes and smear them on your forehead. Why? Because it erases the, the address of all the sins that you made. Every sin a person made is registered on his forehead. When he comes to the world to come without the body, right when he enters the court of God, all the judges and the people there that come to see his trial, see right away what he used to do, even if he made full repentance. Even if right now he's the biggest tzaddik in the world. But age 20 he changed his life. They see all his, all his past. This cannot erase the repentance. One thing only can erase the Arizal taught us that secret. He take the tears and smear it on the forehead. And the Arizal also said that a Jew that doesn't cry in Yom Kippur, something is very, very wrong with him. Why? If you go to downtown Manhattan about one month jail, one, mo- one day in jail, one day in jail, one hour in jail, there in downtown, if you know what's going on over there. And the judge is about to send you over there. Can you stand still without crying? He's more important in your eyes than God. What's going on? That's something very rotten in your heart. Heart of rock. Only me, me, what's good for me? Come on, that's, that's good, that's not good. Forget about yourself. One time in your life you do for somebody else. Forget about yourself. You cry for yourself. You cry for your children. You cry for your wife. You cry for the fact that you're 20, 30 or 40 years old and you're a complete loser. You don't know one sentence in Torah. You don't know how to read. You don't know how to write. You don't understand Gemara. God put you in this world to do A, B, C, D and you hardly did 1% of your purpose in life. And all you care about wealth, money, pleasure, this, that. This is what you have to cry for. What? Everyone cry only for pleasure. I lost this, I lost that, I had that car, I had this house, I had this suit, this guy hurt me. That. Get around all these things on the side. That's really the, not the main thing in life. You have to cry about your children. If you see your children are going in the wrong direction, if you don't cry now, that's it. It's going to be too late. Another year or two, they'll be going. You're not going to be able to talk to them. They call you, hey, old man, like I hear all the time in houses what's going on here. That's how the friends talk to their parents. It doesn't matter who you are. You can be the president of Microsoft. He's going to tell his friend, my old man. You'll be 60 years old, he'll bury you alive. He will hope that when you're going to die, that he take away your money. What? That's the society we live in today. That's the truth. The truth is very, very painful. Right now, there's huge anger from God on the world. He brings one attack after the other and it's only going to get worse. We are very close to the end. I told you that. That says we are now in a time of Mashiach. Hazal says, the book says, at least 200 years before the end. At least. We are 5,766. Maximum 34 years to the end. Maximum. It can happen tomorrow. Once you're going to start hearing a siren, shofar, it's too late. 
Wait, wait, wait. I'm gonna make Hashem, one last chance. You miss the train, they close the door. That's the truth. Another game. Do I get the ticket? Do I don't get this new jeans scam? It's in fashion, Rabbi. It's very hard. What do you want me? I'm learning in this place. I'm gonna be the only one in college. Go with the skirt. You live for them? For what do you live? You live for the Puerto Ricans that walk in the street that will look at your chest? That's your life? This is what God made you for? To be another car walking, moving the tail on the street? Think about it. Use your common sense. This is what you live for? For what? For pride? For sport? Show me one thing in your life that is Jewish, that is not Greek or French or Arab or American. One thing that is Jewish. Torah, nothing. Tzedakah, one percent of what you're supposed to give. And then when you give, you see Shiva for the dollar you gave. <laughs> That's the way most people are. Not knowing that when they regret that they did a mitzvah, they lose it anyway. They lose from both sides. Education of children. How can we educate our children before we educate ourselves? Marriage, respect in a house, respect your parents-in-law, being grateful. Who even heard this kind of expression? We live in like a blurry life, living in illusion, waking up 10, 9, 11, sleeping, waking up, going to the store, going here. Another day, to burn time, like they say in Hebrew. How are you doing? You ask an Israeli, what does he say? Chaim. What's new? We live. The dog also lives, my friend. We're burning some time. What's new? We're burning some mevalim. You know what's mevalim? Lie. Burning time. Wasting life. This is the right expression. How they, even know, they don't even know how much they write when they answer this. They don't really know what they say. You ask them, what did you do last night? We had a great place. We we, we, we went... The word in Hebrew means we went to burn life, to burn the time. And they don't know that that's what they say. Nishamayim Hashem made it that way. Your children is your future. You put them in public school, one day you will face a sentence of a murder of your children. Because they'll become like the Chinese, like the Pakistani guy. They marry somebody that is not Jewish. They bring Goim to the world. This Goim will kill Jews will be another Hitler, another Stalin will come out of you. You will have to deal with this shame for thousands of years. For what? You wanted to save two, three hundred dollars a month. Rabbi, Rabbi, I wasn't so, I was modern. I wasn't so religious. How can I put my son in yeshiva? I need him to be half and half. That's, it's a problem. You were afraid to face the truth. Because you're a loser, you're going to make your son a loser. You'll be a winner. You don't want to be a winner. Hide yourself somewhere. Or, pray to Hashem in your prayer, like I do, and I'm not ashamed to say it. Please, God forbid that my children will be like me. God forbid. In my age, they should already know the whole Torah by heart. There are people my age already know the Torah by heart. Everything, every question, right away like a computer. And righteous, with complete faith, a hundred percent, not mamash, strong like a rock with the faith. 
And you should know one thing. The higher your faith is, the happier you become. Money doesn't make you happy. It's convenient. Music doesn't make you happy. It's temporary pleasure. Sports, it's another hour of fun, supposedly. Food, no, five seconds enjoyment here and there. What really makes a person happy? Never to worry about anything. That's a complete feeling, like you own the world. God is doing everything. more money. You know. What does it have to do with me now? Worry about tomorrow, what I'm going to do. I have, I don't have. I run the show. I'm only a little player here. There is a coach. That's his problem, not my problem. He told me to stand here, I stand here. He told me to stand there, I stand there. That's it. I tell you a secret. If a person cancels his personality and his pride a hundred percent, and he says like Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Nachumish Gamzu Negmara, that's why their name is so popular. But two things they say: everything God does is for good. And Rabbi Akiva says, and Rabbi Nachumish Gamzu says it's also for good. And Rabbi Akiva says everything Hashem does is for good. And the rest, what they say, the rest is not in our hands. Whatever God does, that's what He does. However, I cry for the sorrow of Hashem. Millions of Jews don't know how to say Kriyat Shema. We have two, three million Jews that behave worse than Nazis. They hate the Torah. They hate the Shabbat. They hate Mitzvot. How can we not cry? How can our heart not break to pieces? How? How can we not cry when we see our brothers and sisters, cousins, friends, parents? How? How can we not cry? What do they do on Rosh Hashanah? We go, we cry in shul, we shake, we're afraid to say one extra word. And they sit in a, in a park barbecuing steaks with their belly outside, eating seeds like a parakeet. That's our brothers and sisters. How can we not cry? I'm asking you, if you're normal, how can you not cry? If you see your children addicted to these Game Boys, and all you have in his life is cigarettes, music, fashion, emptiness, hair, this car, that car, that suit, this designer, fighting. How can you not cry? If you don't cry, that means you're way below the zero line. For the person that is normal and he sees children such losers, how can he not cry? You know why we don't, we don't cry? Because we never got to understand yet how miser- miserable is a person that doesn't have spirituality in his life. We only gonna realize how miserable we are when we really know what God thinks about us. Since we are not prophet and we don't read the mind of God, like some human being in history were able to, we were not, we're not like this. Since we don't have those tools to know what God thinks about me, I have only one thing left, to read. And when I read in the Torah, I read a sentence that God says, a person that has no Torah knowledge deserves to be eaten by the dogs. A sentence in Hashem's Torah, and it's talking about us. How can I not cry? Hashem says, you, you, Mr. X, you really deserve to be thrown to the dogs to eat you. You're worthless. You're nothing. Or, when I read that the Torah says that if you have all the knowledge in the Torah, everything, but you behave like a pig, proud, arrogant, Lashon Hara all day, 
stealing, not honest, making חילול השם, the Torah say you worse than a dog, than a dead dog, get worse. תלמיד חכם שמידותיו רעות, someone who's knowledgeable, but he has bad personality, he didn't correct his bad personality, a dead rat in the street is better than him. That's what Hashem said, and that's the truth. And you don't hear it in most lectures. Why? Because it will make you not come the next one. Because most people cannot handle the truth. Because they are so phony in their life that when they finally see the truth, they can digest it. One of the things the Kabbalists write in their book that after you finish all the Torah, all the Gemara, all the Shulchan Aruch, and you are now are ready, you write to start Kabbalah, for the married, you don't have bad thoughts, go to the mikveh every day, you're a pure person. Now you must enter the secrets of the world, which is Kabbalah. And they write, this is what I saw a week ago, I wrote, in my eyes I saw. And I know he writes, that you may think, what somebody like me has to do with such a holy thing? So don't worry about it. Because if you don't deserve, the knowledge will push you out. He won't want you. If you are impure, the Torah of Hashem will kick you out. You don't deserve, get lost. Why? The secret is another, another world. What we learn is Torah, Pshat, Halacha, we need it for our daily life. Every Jew is, is obligated for it. Kabbalah, only the very few special ones have to, do, to deal with that. People are not ready for that. There's hundreds of stories. They became crazy. They talked to themselves. They committed suicide. They did crazy things. Why? They were very normal. They learned to run. They were normal people. All of a sudden, you see, became cuckoo. Crazy. Why? Somebody filthy like you entered the, the heaven of God, the secrets of God. You want to understand these things? What is this? Don't be fooled by what you hear on the media, Kabbalah, this is nonsense, this is not, not the beginning of one or two sentences that they show them over there. Who is these people that go into these places? The filthiest people on earth. But even this, even this has a purpose in life. This is even, first of all, with all the bad, something good always comes out of it. You know what? that another four, five hundred million people know that there's something in Judaism called, called the secrets of God. It's enough. It's enough that Jews like me and you hear it, and we see these losers going, where have no meaning in their life, run after that. Why God show it to us? Because when you come after 120 years in front of Him, then I say, you saw all these losers running after my truth, all these bimbos, not modest people, dirty, drug addicts, and you were around it all your life and you did nothing to pick it up, where are you going to hide yourself? Remember, the biggest punishment in Olam Abba, other than hell, other than all these things the Gemara described, is really the embarrassment. The embarrassment is much more painful than physical pain. What's the, what's the proof? If you go to a circus, when the acrobats, you know, they fly all over and one of them falls down on his head. He's half dead already. 
10,000, 20,000 people in Madison Square Garden. What do you hear? Whoa. Wow, oh my God. Everyone scream. He's dead. What's the first thing he does? He gets up. He goes like this. Always. He's willing to suffer hell, pain. The spine is broken. The head, he sees stars. His grandma came to visit him already. But the one second embarrassment is much more painful. That's why he first has to stop this. What about your pain? Sleep, go like this. Oh, I'm dead. <laughs> Two hours later you heard that he's dead in the hospital. Like the back cell. Go like this. You know, you saw them how they go. They don't even know where they are, the class. As far as he's concerned, he's in his, in his, in his home class. He goes like this. Because the embarrassment is the biggest pain. This is one second of embarrassment. With such pain. Physical pain. He doesn't care. To avoid one second. And over there it's endless. Where are you going to hide yourself? This is what the Torah says. Ain Ro'ah. The eyes of God is watching. The Ozen Shomat. And the ear of God is listening. And everything. Everything that you do is registered. And in the end, you have to go one, and oof, God, I'm tired already. You gotta finish. Another one, and another one, and another word, and another act. And remember, most of us don't even have an idea how many bad things we did in our life, and even how many good things we did in our life. Why? Because some of the good things we do, it's very little. Marash gives $100 to a person. You forget about it. You pay $1,000 to someone to make translation to a Torah disc. For you, it's another suit, it's another I don't know what. You don't really think about it. You forgot about it. Seven years later, God showed you 20,000 students you have. said, me? I don't even read Hebrew. This is all your children. And a generation later, it's 100,000 students. They're children. And ten generations later, you have cities full of students, sitting, learning, doing mitzvot, writing. And you say, wow, I wish I would give two. Why didn't I give four? Why didn't I give eight? You know why he didn't give? Because the Satan is fooling you all the time. Give here, give there, people not here. Don't no worry, give there, it's also good. What do you think, it's going to let you give to the best place? going to give you a fight. If it's easy for you, too easy, something is wrong. I told you once and I promise to finish. That's it. I know you're tired. What can I do? I'm getting more tired than you, believe me. I tell you one thing. Search around the world. All the rich and wealthy organizations are rotten and filthy spiritual-wise. One more than the other. The church the filthiest place in the earth is the richest organization, institution in the world. After that, Islam, the mosque. Billions, they don't know what to do with the money. Next, Hindus. Go to India, see what palaces they build to their stupid statues. The more you go into it, then you go into Judaism. Reform, control United States. The top leaders in the United States, each one of them is reformed. Greenspan, the other one, the controller of the army, controller of the this, controller of the atomic place. 
I want to show a list. They saw them in the Yom Kippur a few years ago with the media coming with their cars to Yom Kippur with their tuxedo to listen to the piano. They come to Yom Kippur, so they ask three of them. One is the treasury of the United States. The other one is controlling the Fed. Why do you, why do you coming to pray for the new year? Why do you expect for the new year? So one of them, this guy, David Peake, remember him? That once he came here to speak with me? He told me that story. He told me three of them on the TV. He knows all of them from the business world. I don't really know who they are, but he said, they all say the same. Especially one of them, he said, don't you see I'm coming to pray for it? But he's reformed, he comes with a car. And married to a Goya. But he comes. They have all the money. Hundreds of millions all over, and they don't have minyan in their school. Beautiful build chandelier, each chandelier five million dollars. Stars, diamonds, gold, special artwork from this guy, from the other one, import, export. This is their shoes. No minyan. And look at our yeshiva. Leak from here, look from there. The books are all pieces. Put them together. Sometimes you come to drink coffee, you're tired, you didn't sleep. There's no coffee. The air condition have a locker. In Israel it's even better. You have to put a shekel, it turns on for two minutes. <laughs> yes. Now, we have 50 people in the shul, everyone is dying, it's very humid over there. Baruch Hashem, here it's very nice, they're well conditioned. But over there, <laughs> over there, everyone is dying and everyone is broke. Until one of somebody says, listen, I give up my lunch. He put five shekel in, 15 minutes you can pray at least. <laughs> That's the way it is. That's when you know God is there. Because God doesn't live for beautiful buildings. God doesn't need wealth, Persian rugs in a shul. That doesn't impress him. You know what he wants? A broken place from 60 years ago. A bunch of people over there, reading, praying. That's what he wants. That's what for him everything. Because the Torah counts, not the atmosphere around. It's that building, that marble, the other one, this one, that one, come on. The Torah said, Rabbi Yossi went on the street. A billionaire met him on the street. He told him, Rabbi, Rabbi Yossi, tell me just what you want to come to be a rabbi. Where? Philadelphia, Florida, Las Vegas, whatever. He gave him a name of a town. In the time of the Gemara, it was the wealthy people living in that place, but there was no yeshivot, no Torah. Guess what he answered him? Guess what he said? He said, you give me all the wealth, all the diamonds and gold in the world, I cannot live one minute in a place that doesn't have Torah constantly over there. Everything you give me, I cannot even come there. So, there's enough proof what really counts? Bezrat Hashem, again, everyone will use his talent to do the right things. Each one is different than the others. You have to take advantage of what the talent that God gave you to help his nation, to help the world. And most of all, to help your wife and your children. That comes before everyone. Before everyone. The biggest Admorim, when they used to have 50 people waiting online to speak to them, the rabbis, Every time one of their children came, they were stopping, closing the door, let them wait another hour until they do the homework with the son. And this is something that we always forget that it comes first. And then no wonder how a lot of the religious children rebel against the rabbis. Why? 
everyone were your children except me, like that boy that came to his father three times to show him something from his homework. Not now, honey. Come back in ten minutes, speaking to another person. He comes ten minutes, come back another ten minutes. Then after ten minutes he gets a phone call on his cell. He looks at the number and says, Hello? Is it dead? Who is this? It's whatever. I'm afraid to say names, you know, some people may think I hint to them. Whatever. Moishale. He said, what, where are you calling me from? He said, from across the street, from the neighbor. What are you doing over there? I realized the only way to talk to you is on the phone. His son told him. Hopefully it will never happen to us. Because if it happened to you, you are about to lose your children. Be'ezrat Hashem, I wish everyone Gmar Khatima Tova, Shana Tova, someone who wants Kaparot, the Sephardim, it's better to do with money, not with chickens. Yes, better to do with money. With the chickens there's all kinds of problems, especially when the Shochet cut one after the other all day. So if a person wants to do for him, for his family members, it's recommended to take $18 and to do for each member. If he can't afford, at least the price of a chicken, which is $8, $9, a rooster. And if you want, I can do for you right now, kaparot, and we give the money to Tamidei Yeshiva. And if you have somebody else to do it for you, you can also do. Bezrat Hashem. And now we're going to do after the Arvit, we do Slichot. Thank you very much. Okay. 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 Okay.